Blog Talk Radio. that time again my take radio episode 17 for thursday october 29th 2009 i'm your host rich and i'm broadcasting live from the rotten apple new york city during the new york yankees philadelphia phillies world series a uh, few things first let's get in a little housekeeping uh art contest will be starting officially during episode 20 new well, all the rules will be posted on MyTakeRadio.com over the coming weeks. One of the things that I will be doing is having actually the contest done with a logo and a banner. So you have the option of doing both or one or the other. If you do submit two pieces of artwork, um, you are you will be getting a better prize if you submit an individual piece of artwork and two different people are selected, each person will get um, whatever prize is going to be offered at this time. I'm still deciding what it's going to be. Um, we will start it during episode 20, and it will probably end, I'm hoping, by the middle of December, uh, hopefully before the holidays, so whoever it is can uh, get their prize in time for Christmas. Um, also, uh, Thursday, of course, is in November. You One of the Thursdays is going to be Thanksgiving. I'm still deciding whether My Take Radio will broadcast live uh, that Wednesday or that Tuesday. Right now, that's a little undecided. I may actually give myself that week off since I have to cook and do a whole bunch of shit, but nonetheless, we will discuss that further in the coming weeks. Uh, some of tonight's topics, definitely going to be talking about UFC 104, uh, Brock Lesnar pulling out of his match with Shane Carwin due to illness, a little bit about Kimbo Slice possibly fighting Houston Alexander at the Ultimate Fighter finale, uh, Hulk Hogan going to TNA Wrestling, definitely want to share my thoughts with you guys on that, so stick around for that, PS3 getting Netflix functionality uh, probably by the middle of November, I'll be talking about that, a bigger DSi, another way for Nintendo to take more of our fucking money, uh, a little bit about Tekken 6, Hugh Jackman playing Drake in Uncharted. Don't know about that, but we'll be covering that too. With that out of the way, let's get into some MMA news. Uh, first off the bat, Brock Lesnar is going to be was forced to withdraw out of his heavyweight championship defense against Shane Carwin at UFC 106. Uh, reports out there stating that he's been with the flu for about three and a half weeks. I don't know if it's swine flu or not, but Brock Lesnar's been fucked up. He's saying that he hasn't had a chance to train. And that's one of the reasons that it's hindering him 
in terms of training adequately for the fight, so he will be taking some time off to heal up. Shane Carwin actually mentioned on his Twitter account that the fight is going to be moved to UFC 108. I don't know how accurate that is yet. I still got to get a little confirmation on the date to be sure, but it's going to definitely be one of the first events in January. Um, Brock Lesnar and and myself kind of, I have a love-hate relationship with him uh, as an athlete, phenomenal athlete, um, just, just great overall in every sport and everything he's done. As a person, eh, I think he's a bit of a douche just because, like I've always said, I met him, so I don't really think highly of him as a person. I'm more than sure if I were to meet him again, my opinion on him would change if he were pleasant. But as of right now, he's a douche, but I wish him uh, a speedy recovery just because I want to see him and Carwin lock up. In other news, UFC 104, of course, happened uh, this past Saturday, and man, was it it was it was everything was hyped up to be, but there was a little controversy with the main event between Machida and Shogun. Uh, this led to a, a lot of backlash, particularly against the judging. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole card, but there are a couple of fights that got my attention. Um, Yoshiyuki Yoshida and Anthony Rumble Johnson, in particular, just because uh, Rumble Johnson is um, he, he's a great fighter. He's explosive, has a great wrestling background. Uh, charismatic, good on the mic, but one of the things that fucked him up for this fight was the fact that he came in overweight. As such, he came in overweight and had to give up a portion of his purse. I believe it was 10%. But the crazy thing was he came in round one, right uppercut, a bit of a clinch, some dirty boxing, another uppercut, little straight right, and he just took Yoshida out in one round. He got it in 41 seconds within round one. And he won knockout of the night, but unfortunately, given that he was overweight, he did not qualify for his knockout of the night bonus, which is unfortunate, but understandable. I mean, he has stated in interviews that, you know, he had a knee injury, and that was one of the reasons that his training was hindered. But uh, the thing that gets me is the fact that you know, a lot of people started writing him off. Oh, you know, he takes he takes it too easy in terms of cutting weight, this, that, and a third look. He said he was injured, his knee was hurt. I'm going to be honest with you. I had, well, I've been dealing with a knee injury on my of my own. And in my case, if I bend my knee anyway, even if it's sitting at work, I could barely fucking stand. So this is a guy who is active probably a majority of his time leading up to the fight. I mean, really active between bag work, ground work, standing, sparring. And if, and if his knee prevented him from cutting weight in the sense probably of jogging, jumping rope, possibly the airdyne, I, I can understand where he's coming from. And it, it's very surprising and in a way very annoying that people just are quick to write people off. You know, it's like, fuck, man, the guy was a little overweight. Shit happens. You know, you go, you, you, you assume what's going to happen. You get hurt and, and shit, you know, it just shits the bed. I'm, I can't, you know, I can't sit there and pass judgment on a guy who is a great athlete, is entertaining. You know, people get hurt and shit happens. But, of course, automatically the armchair quarterbacks jump in. Oh, you know, he should go up to a, a heavier division if he can't cut weight. And, you know, to those critics, I say to them, you go get punched in the face and cut weight 
for a few weeks and get back to me about how easy it is, since you motherfuckers know so much. I mean, once again, if you can't make weight, it is a sign of, of disrespect for the fighter. You just don't show that you're putting in training. But if you're fucking hurt and you're getting ready and you accept the penalties given to you, what else do you want from the fucking guy? You, don't, you want him to come in there and give the guy his whole check? I mean, honestly, it, it, it fucking astounds the fuck out of me how some people are on the fucking internet in terms of, you know, how they view fighters and how they view fights. I think it's really stupid that people do some dumbass shit like that. Ah, it is what it is, though. Nonetheless, it leads me to something else involving Anthony Johnson, which I will discuss later in the broadcast. Uh, another fight that I was excited to see was Spencer Fisher and Joe Daddy Stevenson. Joe Stevenson came in in round two with the TKO. Uh, I think that Stevenson had a lot to prove just because he's, he's, he seems like the guy that's scratching at the surface to, to win a title, and every time he does, for whatever reason, he just, he just doesn't make it all the way. I don't think it's something where he – I don't think it's him personally. It's just like anything else. It might be psychological. It might just be the guys that he's fighting that he just hasn't figured them, figured them out yet. But I'm a really big fan of Joe Stevenson. I think that, you know, he's an incredible athlete. He comes in there. He gives it 110%. He's an exciting athlete to watch. You know, he's in there fighting for his family, you know, trying to put food on the table, you know, with his fists, which is, you know, a remarkably awesome story. I mean, a lot of these guys are doing the same thing. But he's, he's a young dude, and I think he's got, like, two or three kids. So I think this win for him, you know, definitely put people on notice because he kind of has been saying that people kind of have been – not overlooking him, but I guess maybe not taking him as seriously because, he, you know, he, he's coming back and forth on wins and losses. But nonetheless, I'm very happy that he won. And, of course, uh, one of the co-main events was Ben Rothwell and Cain Velasquez. Um, Rothwell, there was a lot of hype leading in for him, you know, considering this was his first fight. The guy had a 30-6 and record fighting 6-0 and Cain Velasquez. Needless to say, Rothwell got a TKO at 58 seconds in round two. Now, this is one of the first of two problems with judging that night. He was actually trying to stand up. Um, he was doing a, a, a wall walk, which is where you prop your feet um, along the edge of the cage and you crawl, your, crawl up the side of the, of the cage wall with your back. You, it, it, you know, they call it a wall walk. Some people call it a fence walk. Nonetheless, it was said that he wasn't intelligently defending himself, but I think that if the fucking guy is trying to get up, I think that's a sign that he's trying to defend himself. So I was really kind of suspect on that decision. Some people said, you know, it was a, a bad stoppage. Some people said it was, eh. But the general consensus is that it was a bad stoppage. I think, honestly, Cain Velasquez looked really good in the fight, but I could see a rematch coming just because of the controversy of the stoppage, and I would really welcome it just because I think Rothwell is a good addition to the UFC heavyweight division, and I'd really like to see more from him, and I don't think this was his best performance, but we'll see what happens. I mean, he, he can still get a shot at Cain Velasquez again, or he, they may just put him in there with somebody who he may be, um, how do you say, uh, more suited, better compatible as an opponent for him. I'm not saying they're going to put him in there with a tomato can, but they're definitely going to put him in there with somebody who is definitely going to want to stand and bang with him. Um, 
If any of you guys want to call in, I forgot to give the call-in number at the start of the broadcast. The telephone number is 347-324-3541 to discuss MMA and any of tonight's topics. Again, that telephone number, 347-324-3541. And, of course, going back into the MMA news, the last big main event was Shogun versus Machida. The fight went five rounds. Um, I got to say, off the, off the bat, Round one, Shogun came out hungry. You know, a lot of a lot of tight clinching, a lot of knees to the body. Uh, Machida using his elusive style, a lot of kicks. I definitely, and I'm going to say it off the bat, I gave the first round to Shogun. Round two, a lot of the same. They just come out, boom, ready to rock and roll. Shogun took the second round. A lot of people were telling me, hey, it was close. I think Shogun definitely took it. Um, you know, just a lot of the... Uh, Knees. He did a lot of knee work and a lot of clinch work. He also did a lot of knees to the thighs. Uh, they traded knees to the body. At the end, of, at the end of the round, I definitely saw, saw Shogun winning round two. Round three, I guess Machida finally snapped out of it and came in and he started switching stances, coming back and forth, using a lot of his famous kicking arsenal. The round ended with both of those guys just swinging wildly, and Machida won the exchange. Uh, the round ends with a uh, Shogun landing a right to Machida, but I definitely, I got to agree that Machida took that round. A lot of people said, eh, you know, they, they called it really close, but let's be honest, Machida didn't start showing his true warrior spirit, quote, unquote, until round three. The championship rounds, rounds four and five, uh, four went to Shogun, five went to Machida. Uh, the fight definitely was very close, but take into account, I gave Shogun round one. I gave Shogun round two. I gave Shogun round four. Machida got three and five, just from what I saw, in terms of octagon control, just being aggressive, and, you know, connecting with strikes. With that in, taken into account, just on paper, if Shogun won three out of five, what the fuck does that mean, folks? That means Shogun would have won the fight. Unfortunately, it ended up being that Shogun did not win, and Machida retained the belt. Of course, of course, the crowd was very pissed off. And even in interviews now, Machida says that he, you know, he, he won the fight, he feels. He feels that he had the, uh, the best shot at winning that fight, and he feels that he was, he put on a, not his best performance, but a good one. Nonetheless, let's see what the caller's got to say. We got our first call. You're on the air. Who's this? Yeah, Hello. Me. Oh fuck! Of course it's you. Let me guess. Oh, I don't. I don't get any any kind of like little guy remark or any kind of like fanfare because I haven't called in like three friggin' years. No, you'll get the fanfare later on. So I will plug you back in later on in the broadcast. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm not expecting All right, much anymore. You got it. Yeah. All right. Let's see who the next caller is. You're on the air. Who's this? Hey, Rich. It's Mortis. Hey, man. What's going on? Not much. Uh, it seems the UFC or the the commission, they need to do something with their judging. Yes. I, I have to agree that, and I'm going to say off the bat, and I'll start with the Rothwell fight. I think that Rothwell, you know, in doing the wall walk, yeah, he wasn't throwing his arms up and flailing his arms in terms of defense, but the guy was trying to get back onto his feet. And not for nothing, 
if you're in a fight and you're trying to get up, that shows you're trying to do something. So for them to take the to give the TKO to Velasquez based on that was I, I really want to blame the ref for not really paying attention. Like holy shit, he's trying to get up, not holy shit, he's down. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, the the stoppage was stopped way too early, but I think Kane would have won that anyways. So, I mean, he, he was looking real good throughout the whole fight and probably wouldn't have ended past the second round anyways, even if that stoppage, uh, even if the fight would have continued. Well, not for nothing. I think that in the second round, at least, at least if you wouldn't have given him the opportunity to finish the round, yeah, but Rothwell did look a little, he, his, he looked a little winded. I got to say yeah. that off the bat. So he definitely was slightly gassed, but he definitely did not look like a guy who got flash KO'd or a guy that got, you know, that got pounded out. He just was like, what the fuck happened? He had that look of shock that, I mean, when you get a flash KO and you go to the replay and you see their head flopping around like a fucking fish, you know they're out. But he yeah, was not out. Up. He was, on he was way, not out at all. Up. <laughs> now... With the, with, the, with the Shogun issue, like I said, you know, he was very aggressive in three out of the five rounds. He was aggressive. He came in there, a lot of knee strikes, a lot of Muay Thai clinch, knees to the body, knees to the midsection. Dude, he came in there ready to go. Machida, I think, and I'll be honest, and I'm more than sure that some Machida fans will probably write in or give some shit about it, but I don't think Machida was ready for him to come flying out there ready to ready to ready to sling leather that's just me i think he was machida's used to you know um a feeling out process every the last few fights i've seen him involved in he likes to come out and you know he he'll he, you know he likes to kind of move around a little bit you know be elusive but he also likes to take his time figuring the guys out shogun did not give him any time shogun ran in there and he introduced himself with a swift punch to the face well, he didn't really rush into it. I mean, he was he was feeling out a little bit, but he was being aggressive the whole time. He was being uh, kind of cautious aggression, yeah, you know. But he was he was getting the better part of Machida the whole time. You know, Machida's my favorite UFC fighter, and I still think that Shogun Shogun won that fight. I mean, I I haven't won all uh, I haven't won four out of the five rounds, all except the third round. You had him winning four, huh? Yeah, I had Shogun win four. The first, the first round was really, really close. That could have gone either way, but um, I still haven't won the first round. Well, you know what it was? I, I, gave it, I gave it to Shogun just because he did a lot of, um, you know, he, he was working the leg kicks, man. He was getting the leg yeah. kicks in. He got a, a couple of – he closed the round out with a body kick. You know, I always like to look at it from the standpoint of when the round ends, you know, that guy that gets the last hit in, you know, it's like the last word, the last word in an argument. You know, the guy who got the last word in, you know, the guy who got the last strike in, in this case, to me, definitely won the round. And, it, you know, he was, I think that Machida got caught off guard with that, like, yo, this guy's really coming in. You know, like most guys, like, going back to the Rashad fight, Rashad came in there and he kind of used, not, not that I'm saying he used the complete strategy, but he fought Machida like Tito did. And he was just too busy trying to catch him, trying to catch him, trying to catch him. It's like, look, man, you got to – and once again, I'm not a professional fighter. In my instance, you can – you know, you got to wait for Machida to come in. When he comes in, I notice that he's very – not weak in the clinch, but definitely not. He doesn't really – I think he just gets confused when he's in there. Yeah, well, you know, he, I, I 
I thought he would have pulled guard, honestly. Yeah, uh, Maji is not a uh, not a clinch fighter. Shogun is. He's a yep. he's a tie fighter. So he's he's used to that. Well, at the end of the day, though, I think that, you know, and this is just me throwing it out there. If Shogun would have won, there would have been a rematch either way. Yeah, I, I think that too. I was thinking. You know, you got to call it either way. If Shogun would have won, people would have been like, all right, Shogun won. And Machida would have been like, fuck, man, I don't want to be a one a one reign guy. So, boom, let me get that rematch. Now well, I don't think there would, there would have been a, uh, a better chance for Anderson Silva to go for the the light heavyweight title as well, because that would set up a, that could also set up an Anderson Silva Shogun fight. Yeah, well, you know what it is. Considering, and this is the this is the other thing too. Considering how Anderson Silva, oh, I do not want to fight Machida. He is my friend. Blah blah blah. I love you, man. Let's blow each. Look, man. Look. <laughs> MMA is not a team sport. I say this shit all the time. You watch the ultimate. Let me tell you something. You want a team, you go to a school, and you work in a camp. And at the end of the day, some of those guys you're going to have to fight. That's just the way shit is. You know? What? Because you guys are Brazilians. You guys don't want to punch each other in the, shit, in, the, in the face. Shogun was like, hey, I like Machida. He's a nice guy, but the belt is the belt. It's, it's bullshit, man. I don't understand... This preconceived notion these guys get into where, oh, you're my teammate, man. I don't want to fight you. Eh." You know, Rashad pulled that shit with with Jardine, too. I don't want to fight Jardine. He's my fucking teammate. You stupid motherfuckers. (laughs) Let me tell you, if there's a belt and a lot of fucking money on the line, I am putting my fist through your fucking face and squeezing your brainstem. I don't give a shit. And after we're done, I'll pick you up and take you to the ER myself and buy you a beer. Yep. This is horse shit, you know? That's exactly yeah. how I think about that. It's like, you know, if you're fighting on, on any team, you're going to have to fight your teammates. It's just the way shit is. You know, this isn't the NFL, or this isn't fucking baseball, where, you know, everybody loves each other and fucking pats each other on the ass. You know, this is a combat sport. You don't see this shit in boxing. You know, oh, we're sparring partners. We're not going to fight. No, fuck you. We're fighting. Well, boxing is all about the money anyway, you know? Yeah. But um, while I have you on, the uh, this week's Ultimate Fighter, what a, ge- what a gem it was this week. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, th- I thought it was funny when Dan White said that uh, th- now that's a fucking fight and everything. You know, the first two minutes, Mitch Rione looked good. The rest of us were, were it was like eight minutes of patty cake. Well, once again, and you're, you know, the the thing I, I'm really aggravated about, and I've started seeing this on Twitter and a lot of a lot of the posts. There's a lot of people really saying that, aside from Rampage, Kimbo, and that little bit of beef with Rashad, that this season sucks. It's it, it's a very disappointing season. I thought it was going to be much better. I'm like I'm like, damn man, I I've watched every season from the first. And yeah, there's some seasons that weren't that great. Don't get me wrong. The season with fucking Henderson and Bisping was not great. Yeah. But this season, between the titty jokes and Rampage being Rampage and Rashad trying to use his game show host smile, you know, with the little fucking orbits fucking shine when he smiles, 
It, it kills me. It fucking kills me. The only fight that I enjoyed out of that whole episode was Rampage fighting the door. Because that door did not stand a chance. Uh, he, he tore that door off. <laughs> he had he had no he had no chance with that door. But I figured I'd uh, I'd, I'd pick your brain on that. Yeah, it's been uh, not quite a snorefest. It's been uh, a, like I said, disappointing. And like all the uh, all the jokes that uh, that West End's been doing, it's it, it's getting a little tiring too. Yeah, dude, I'm tired of all the fucking jokes. I want to see people fight. Yeah, exactly. All right, dude. Well, thanks for the call. Definitely stick around. I'm going to run through uh, the rest of this week's stuff. Definitely stick around for uh, what Cecil Peoples had to say about his decision on the fight. You're, you're going to love it, as will the rest of the listening audience. Oh, yeah, I definitely will. All right, dude. Later. Bye. You're on the air. Who's this? It's Jedi. What's going on, sir? Not much, dude. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. What do you got for me tonight? I got a question for you. Um, actually, I got a couple questions. I'm um, going back to the you were talking about some bad stoppages, and um, you know when I was watching the the Rothwell fight, the Kane and Rothwell fight, um, it looked to me like in the replay, like um, Ben Rothwell went out for a second, like just a second. He wasn't defending himself at all, and then that's when like Mazzagatti, he was still like four or five feet away, so he like rushed in to stop it as soon as it looked like he went limp. But by the time he got there, he was, like, already, you know, standing up. So I don't know if you can really blame the ref for that because, you know, it's like these guys, there's all these pressures on, on the ref now to make sure that these people don't get hurt because, you know, the UFC has a you know, reputation to uphold um, well, not getting their fighters killed. But, oh, yeah, I, I mean, he can, that. But so he, I mean, that. Yeah, he can still. Go ahead, Ben. Oops, go ahead. It looks like, I mean, obviously he could still fight. He wasn't out. But, you know, if you're if you're the ref and you're, like, waiting for somebody to go limp, like, I mean, you could have said the same thing about, you know, the Chuckadel Rampage Jackson fight. I mean, if you watch that again, he goes limp for, like, a second, but then he's, like, back up on his feet. You could have made the argument that Chuck Liddell could have still fought. He probably still would have lost, but. You could, you could but here's, here's, where, here's where our opinions are going to differ, and this is how I see it. The way I see the shit is let's, let, let's go Rampage and Liddell one second. Rampage uppercutted the fuck out of Liddell. Liddell hit that floor like a sack of potatoes. He was done. He was there like with that glassy-eyed look. When the cameraman zoomed into his face, Chuck Liddell thought he was at the club drinking. He did. <laughs> He did not think he was in the fucking cage. And then, of course, like I said, slash KO. He was like, oh, shit, I'm in the octagon. What am I right. doing on the floor? Oh, fuck, you know? That's what happened. But in Rothwell's case, all right, say he did go, let, you know, let, let, let's use your thinking. Let's say he did go limp for a second. If he went limp while he was still coming up the side of the cage, if he would have slumped over, then I could say, all right, that stoppage is straight. Because he fucking slumped over. But in the case that he's wall walking up the cage, yeah, he might have got dazed, but he didn't lose control of his body to the point where you could say, all right, he's fucking out on his feet. Yeah, but he you wasn't even defending. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. But he wasn't even defending himself. He didn't put his hands up. I mean, he was just taking shots, you, know, you know, to the face. Like he, one was take, he was taking shots, but you've got to take into account – if you've watched these guys do the wall walking drills on the Ultimate Fighter 
or if you've watched just any any fight, when you're wall walking, you gotta kind of use your arms a little bit. So if he would have had his arms up and been wall walking at the same time, he would have probably just just gotten pummeled. There, there's a small give and take in that. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna say that Mazagati was wrong, but the stoppage was really suspect. Uh, in any case, there's good, there has to be a rematch because Rothwell, you know, he had a poor showing. For a guy that you know, he's got thirty fucking fights under his yeah. belt. But that he's guy, this, this shouldn't be an immediate rematch, though. I don't think it wasn't even a competition. You know, like I think Velasquez has done enough to at least earn the next title shot. Now, maybe because Lesnar's you know out and that's delayed, maybe they could squeeze another rematch in there. But I don't even. I mean, it wasn't even competitive. That's like saying you know Mir and and uh, and what's his head, um, Frank Mir and who's the other guy, the freaking Brazilian dude, Noguera. Um, should have fought like immediately afterward, but that was a one-sided beating too. I mean, just because you have a bad day, I, I understand what you're saying. Like Brock will be a much better fighter, and, and this is my first time ever seeing him, so I'm just judging it on this one performance. But you, I mean, that's I don't really think that's fair to to Kane, who you know put on a show that you know because the, that maybe there was a premature stoppage. It, it wasn't like wasn't like he was doing anything to. Uh, to really make it a, co- a competitive fight anyway. You know, I would say throw Rothwell in there with somebody like Chuck Congo or something like that, you know, something where it could be like a, a stand-up. Stand ba- yeah, stand-and-bang fight. But you know right, what it is? Right. I, I don't want to take it away from Velasquez either, but here's the thing. I like, and this is one thing, and, you know, I've, I've said this a lot, KOs and submissions end fights. When you start getting into the clinch game, and there's a lot there's a lot of margin for error. You have you know, because you're not really seeing all those small rabbit punches, those small strikes, you know, the small kidney strikes. Yeah, you're seeing, you know, foot stomps, knees to the thigh, knees to the body, but you're not seeing those small punches that are that are getting in. And yeah, you can say we can see them, you know, the television audience, but the ref isn't getting the full picture. Right. That's one right. thing that you know, I like the fact that instant replay was brought into MMA for things like that because, you know, right now you can say the argument that Rothwell was dazed. Let's just say that. Rothwell was dazed and Velasquez won the fight, but Rothwell was defending himself in terms of trying to get up. You can make that argument. But you can also make the same argument that he got flash KO'd and, in, and he was out in the wall walk. You see what I mean? There's no, there's no right way to do it because you don't, I don't want to take it away from Velasquez for his great performance, and I'm, and I'm trying not to shit on the refs, but there's way too much fuckery going on with the refs and the judges. Okay. It's always okay. one or the other. There's always some shit. There really right. is. It's either the ref, you know, like when Josh Rosenthal is, is, is refing a fight, I'm like, oh, this fight's going to be a fucking clusterfuck <laughs> because I don't like his ref style. You know, you uh, the the best ref to me, honestly, is Big John. Yeah, I like John McCarthy Yama- was the best. Yeah, I like him. I like Mario Yamazaki because he gets in there. I, I like those guys. Herb Dean, I have a love hate relationship with Herb Dean just because of shit. And Mustachio Mazagati, same thing. When he's his alter ego with the mustache, he's on point. When he shaves that shit off, it's like Samson cutting his hair. He starts right. fucking up. <laughs> well, that brings me to my next question, which is, do you think? Um, the UFC should be more, or Dana White, you know, should be doing more to point out that 
the UFC itself doesn't really have anything to do with the refs, that it's, it's the, you know, Nevada State Athletic Commission, because here's, here's what, what I would, you know, I, I go on these, um, on the UFC chat boards or whatever, just to see what people say, and, and there's all kinds, you know, these people are idiots, but, you know, there's all kinds of accusing, oh, you know what, the refs are paid off, you know, they're all paid off by the UFC, that's why, you know, Shogun didn't, didn't win the fight, but you know what, that's, that kind, that's the kind of stuff, and I'm not saying it's going to ruin UFC overnight, but that's the kind of stuff where that really took its chunk out of, you know, out of boxing, which, you know, there may have well been a lot of that kind of stuff going on, especially with the shady promoters that you've got going on in that, in that type of, you know, sport, as much as I love it. But, I mean, I, I wonder, you know, if this should be a time where, you know, Dana White makes it more um, known to the mainstream audience, not just in the press conference, but that he should make it known that he, he's not the guy or they're not the guys that have anything to do with picking at. Because otherwise, people just think that, you know, there could be a, a slight misunderstanding that the UFC is tainted. Well, you know, I'm going to put it out there, and once again, just bra- bra- I'm going to get real meat and potatoes with it. This is how I see it. If, if these guys in the UFC chat rooms, and they're entitled to their opinion, opinions are like assholes, everybody has one. That's fine. Guess what, though? If they watch MMA like most people do, they're going to see that the UFC refs appear in other fucking events. So they don't just belong to the UFC. If they really think that Mario Yamazaki, John McCarthy, Herb Dean, uh, Eve Levine, any of those guys only work for the UFC, they're fucking stupid. Because if you watch Elite XC, Strike Force, fuck WEC, Cage Rage, some of these guys rest in those organizations because there's a, you know, that's what the athletic commission says, hey, dude, you're going to go work these fights. There are no specific UFC refs. You know who has their own refs? Wrestling. Why? Because that shit is fucking staged. Right. You know, it's like anyone who's sitting there really thinking that these refs are on the fucking take is either got their thumb up their ass or aren't watching the same sport that the rest of us are watching. Makes no fucking sense. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> I'm I'm that guy. You see, I didn't know that until even recently. For, for I mean, you know, even until like the last year or so, when I was like, oh, you know, these guys are are appointed by the athletic commission because I've only I I don't watch sports and I don't watch those other those other organizations, and uh, it's because I, I don't have cable, so I, I don't um, I don't watch it. You know, the, on those other things. So it could. That's just my point is to say, you know, that might that's you're right that that's kind of a you know, when you really sit back and think about it, yeah, it's dumb. But, you know, the layperson, and I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, maybe it's it's like a damage control. Not like the UFC necessarily needs to go on some huge, you know, marketing campaign, you know, the more you know type of thing, NBC. Um, but but just um, something something maybe just to kind of put it out there so people get a better grip. Because, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the sport, and I just don't want to see – it frustrates me to see people making those kind of comments, so – uh, maybe I shouldn't just go on those boards. <laughs> well, no, I mean your show. No, you're in. You're you're in. Look, you you you're totally. You know, you you bring a valid point. But once again, you and a lot of people look at it a little bit more from from a common sense standpoint. It's like, oh shit, there's Herb Dean. What's he doing there? Oh, he works for the refs association or for the athletic commission or for whatever. It's just yeah. like baseball. There's different refs in different states. You know, it's the same shit. 
you made the right decision and you said to yourself, all right, maybe they're selected by the athletic commission. Let me go and research. Meathead A and Meathead B in their fucking affliction shirts and Ed Hardy shirts aren't thinking that. Yo, man, he got fucking bought out, man. That's why Shogun lost. Look at my cool-ass shirt. It's like, look, you assholes, get educated on the fucking sport you watch. Right, right. And uh, do you mind if I just ask one, one more quick one? Hit it, man. All right. So uh, what's your opinion on the, the old saying, you need to beat the champion to be the champion? Because I had the, the fight scored three rounds to two, just you know, like a lot of people did, for Shogun. I had him winning the fight. But I could see where you make the argument that Shogun did not really close the show. And some people, you know, use that saying, you got to beat the champ. But what, what's your opinion on that? The way I see it is, and, you know, the thing is that that, that expression, from a wrestling fan standpoint, I equate to Ric Flair. So, you know, <laughs> in, that, in that respect, you know, I, the way I see it is, it's not even about beating the champion because there's guys that lose on decision and lose the belt. The, the way I see it is, if you want to be the best and you want to be the champion in your sport, you don't come in there pussyfooting around and eh, let me dance around and tweak my nipples like fucking Rashad does or anything. Yeah. You come in there and you smash somebody's fucking face in. It's ultimate right. fighting. It's not, it's not fucking dancing with the stars. You come in there, you smash their fucking face, and, and that's, that's it. You get either you, you take a limb or you break a face. That's how champions are made. It's not all this extra shit. You don't let it go to the judges. Kenny Florian, right. who, I, who I don't like too much either, says it. You need, you know, and he said it for himself, I finish fights. That's the only fucking way. Don't leave it to the judges. You go in there for the fucking kill, period. Right. That's the worst. Yeah. That, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like fucking, you know, like I'm wrangling up the troops and shit to go to war. But let's be honest. The only way that anybody will decisively, and this is just in anything, is, you know, you walk into the yard and you punch the toughest kid in the face. And that's, that's what the UFC is. You walk into the cage, there's the champion, you punch that motherfucker square in the face, and you let, you let the gloves fly and let that decide. Don't leave it to three or four guys sitting at a table going, well, he has cool trunks today. You know, right. don't let that be a factor in their fucking decision. Eh, I don't like his fucking haircut. Don't let shit like that factor in. And not to say that the judges do that shit, but you know what? Things like that influence people's decisions. It's like a fucking jury. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I was putting together a rematch, it seems. And I hope, you know, hope for everybody's sake that a true winner out of that. But all right, man, well, I've taken up enough of your time. Thanks for letting me uh, pick your brain. Thank you for calling in, sir. Stick around, as always. All right, buddy. Take care. Later. Bye. Jedi coming in, bringing a, raising the temperature a little bit, making me a little heated just because I get mad at a lot of this shit. But um, in regards to the Ultimate Fighter, which I, I was discussing, of course, uh, earlier in the broadcast, Rampage, of course, every week seems to be putting out another blog. Uh, the blog for this week, I don't want to get into it too much because it's, it's a little lengthy, but he goes, I was watching the fight this weekend with the director of the A-Team movie, the movie crew, and a couple of actors, and I've never been ashamed to be a part of MMA till now. The UFC looked like assholes this weekend. The main event was boring. I anticipated, because let's be real, 
Machida is a boring fighter, but Shogun getting robbed like that was pretty cutthroat. When you hear Joe Rogan say, you have to beat the champ to beat a champ, and that made me think that, that the UFC are full of shit. Not to be whiny here, but I still don't feel like I've been beat in the UFC, but I'm not a champ anymore. What the fuck is he, is, is he doing? What is this rambling bag of shit? Fuck, Rampage. I love you to death. You're an awesome fighter. What is this petty shit? Machida's a boring fighter. I give him that. That motherfucker is boring. I know Mortis um, called in and said he's a fan of his. You know what? The Dragon, he, he's cool and shit. His little fighting style is cool. But you know what? He's fucking boring. His fucking, the, the, the fight videos leading up to this main event were boring. I'd rather watch fucking Billy Mays' rotting corpse try to sell me putty. That's how boring he fucking is. Period. He can fight. That's fine. He's a great athlete. That's fine. But guess what? He's boring. All right, Rampage, you were right with that. Shogun getting robbed. I'll give you that. Giving Rogan shit for, you know, saying you have to beat the champ to be the champ, which Jedi mentioned also. And saying the UFC's full of shit. And of course he closes out not to be whiny. Because he says he didn't feel that he's been beating the UFC. You don't feel you've been beat? What the fuck did Forrest Griffin do to you, dude? What did he do? You got fucking beat. How are you saying that you don't feel like you've been beat? When Forrest Griffin beat your ass, you fucking starved yourself, ran some people off the road because you were, you were fasting. Psychologically, you lost it. Because you lost the belt. Where the fuck do you get off, dude, with this shit? I don't understand. But let's go into the rest of it because it gets better. He goes, but I'm not the champ anymore. If the UFC gives Shogun an immediate rematch because of the controversial, of the controversial loss, then that would validate everything I have said about the UFC in my recent post and why I'm pissed at the UFC. But, yeah, he deserves one, and so have I. And so have, he goes, so have I. I would have deserved one against Forrest. Okay, you would have deserved one against Forrest. Guess what? You didn't get one for whatever reason. You got to remember, you know, these guys make the fights. The rematch, they probably could have done it, but they probably wanted to give Rashad the shot because he was next. And not for nothing, whether you fought Forrest or whether you fought Rashad, you would have fought the champ. Guess what? You're not fucking fighting Rashad because Rashad lost. And then you could have fought Machida, but you wanted to fight Rashad. What the fuck are you talking about? You had your shot. What is this shit? It gets better. The reason why I was ashamed of the UFC is because some people around me were saying that the UFC is becoming corrupt like boxing. Whoever the fuck told you that is a fucking moron. And ask me, is that stuff real? Most of the people from the 18 movie were just watching it because I was watching it, and they don't know much about MMA, and we're starting to get into it. But last night, they didn't have anything good to say about my sport, so I was so ashamed. Are you kidding me, dude? Are you, are you kidding me? They don't know much about MMA. You're a fucking fighter. Educate them. You could have said, hey, man, that was a bad stoppage. Shit like that happens in, in MMA, not just the UFC. But see, you're upset with the UFC, so you're going to shit on them. Totally understandable. Makes sense. But come on. 
why are you going to go into this bitch fest every week? It's just showing that you can't handle the fact that you're not in the UFC. And it's not their choice. You made that choice. Let's close it out with this. He goes, one good thing came out of the fight last night. Rashad looked more like a bitch. If he would have just tried to fight Machida instead of just nutting up, he probably could have done better. I saw every last one of Machida's weaknesses this last weekend. No wonder the Ultimate Fighters editing Rashad to try and make him look good because they need all their fighters to sell tickets. They never should have tried to make me look bad because I'm the wrong person to pull that type of crap with. Because I don't give a fuck about the Ultimate Fighter show or about the UFC. There's no other fighter on this planet that can do what I do, and they know it. I don't need them. All they did was fucking piss me off, and any fighter on my team who says they lost a fight because of my coach and can fucking kiss my ass and say that shit to my face. It's very easy to point fingers when you lose, but I can't get into the cage and fight for y'all. I can only fight for myself and for all of you UFC and the Ultimate Fighter fans out there. Here's a big announcement. It's a damn TV show. With how, obviously, we fucking know that. You know what? I'm not even going to read the rest of this post because I'm just going to fucking spend the remainder of this show just picking it apart. Here's what I'm going to say. If you have such a beef with the UFC, call up Dana White. Say, Dana, how many fights do I have on my contract? Oh, you got this many fights. Okay. Let me fight Rashad. If, he, if, he, if Dana White says to him, yo, you got three fights, Fight Rashad to shut him the fuck up since you're as good as you say you are. Fight somebody else and challenge for the belt. Win the belt and then retire. That's it. If you're that good, and, and once again, I'm a huge fan of Rampage. If you're that fucking good that you say that nobody's ever beat you, go in there and show us. Show the fucking audience that you suck as a coach but are a hell of a fighter. That's it. Because you know what? These guys that are on The Ultimate Fighter are there for your guidance. They're not there to fucking get made fun of and watch you and Rashad fucking verbally stroke each other. That's not what they're there for. They're there to pick up your knowledge, to become educated by you, and to pick up things that they can take with them into their fight career. Being made fun of and titty jokes and all this other shit are not things that are going to help you move forward as a fighter. Rashad Evans, I do not like. There's something about him I don't like, right down to his fucking shiny orbit smile and his jive talking and his nipple pinching. I don't like that shit. Too much showy shit. But you know what he's doing that Rampage isn't? He's imparting wisdom and knowledge onto his fighters. He's not trying to reinvent the wheel. He's just trying to add a little polish to, to what these guys already got so that they can move ahead. It, you know, this post really made me dislike Rampage a little bit. I still like him. I mean, you know, the guy's career is fucking awesome. There's fights. If you pick up the best of pride, you can see that there are awesome fights that he's had. But the fact is that right now you are whining. By you saying you're not whining, you are. And what you need to do is just finish out your contract so you can retire and make movies. That's it, dude, because if your heart's not in it, then don't shit on the sport that you're a part of until you leave. That, that's it. That's how, I, that's how I'm going to close out this whole thing with Rashad and with Rampage and the Ultimate Fighter. Now, on to what I was talking about earlier that I mentioned with Cecil Peoples. Uh, the Cage Report caught up with MMA judge Cecil Peoples and asked him for the reasoning as to why he issued the 48-47 score in favor of Machida. Cecil Peoples said the following, and I quote, 
first of all, what you need to understand is from that is from where the judges are sitting, we get to see things that the fans at home may miss, really. Uh, Shogun was being aggressive, but it wasn't effective aggressiveness, which is what we as judges look for when scoring a fight. The way I saw Leota was landing the more cleaner and damaging strikes throughout the fight, really. If you take a look at the judging criteria, clean strikes are valued more so than the quantity of strikes landed. Although Rua threw a lot of low kicks that were not as damaging as Lyoto's diverse attack in the earlier rounds, which is why I scored the first three rounds for Machida, you have to keep in mind we always favor the fighter who is trying to finish the fight, and leg kicks certainly don't do that. You fucking pencil-necked prick. Leg kicks are part of the fucking strategy. They lead to takedowns. They lead to weaknesses in defense. They lead to the fighter being less likely to be fucking evasive, you fucking seated douche. When both fighters are engaged in a striking match, what I always look for is the fighter who is being judicious, picking his spots, being accurate, and landing the cleaner strikes, which ultimately is what Lyoto did more effectively than, more effectively than Shogun. Lyoto made Shogun come after him. He determined where the fight took place, which in my opinion constitutes as effective octagon control. I recognize the fact that Shogun did have a few takedown attempts. Really, you recognize that. You saw that shit all by yourself during the course of the fight. However, Machida defended all of them successfully, which counts as effective grappling in his favor. I believe Lyoto won the fight clearly. I'm just glad the other judges on the panel saw it the same way, and I'm sure the fans who understand the technicalities of the sport agree with the decision too. Really? You, you think that the fans who understand the technicalities of the sport agree with the decision. You silly bastard. If people, if the fucking two guys that just called me, Jedi being one, who's a casual fan, Mortis, who's a fucking fighter, said that the fucking decision sucked, where do you get off saying that fans who understand the technicalities of the sport agree with the decision? Don't you read the fucking internet, you pencil-neck prick? Don't you realize that people out there said your decision sucks? Don't you see that shit? I don't understand. We really need MMA fighters to go into the ranks of judges to judge MMA fights. You can't have these boxing dudes judging this shit. Where the fuck do these guys learn how to judge? But it gets better. He was interviewed in MMA Weekly, our good friend Cecil Peoples, and pretty much said that if the fighters didn't like how it went, that, you know, he said the following. According to the articles, people apparently had no doubts about his scoring of the bout, but admits to, having, to have been struggling with how to score the first round. The 61-year-old Peoples attributes to the fan outcry of his judging to his unique name always being announced last before a fight. People says the fans and all the naysayers, I don't worry about. I don't back down because it's not popular. Peoples goes on to say that he did not review the fight or the stats again, and the only time he has done so was for the BJ Penn and GSP fight. He closes it out by saying Machida was controlling that round, the first round, and he was dominant in not getting beat up. He was the general in that first round. You know, Cecil Peoples, you're fucking 61. Where the fuck do you get off knowing the technicalities of MMA, you fucking fossil? Where do you get off with that shit? When you and I and anybody who's listening to this broadcast know right now 
that watched that fight that in no fucking way was Machida the general in the first round. Machida closed out that round with a strike. He, he was in there being aggressive, chasing him down. What the fuck, man, Cecil Peoples? MMA fighters need to get into judging. Period. Any of these guys out there, I'm begging you, you know, guys that are no longer in the sport, that can look at the sport from a critical standpoint, please become judges so that this shit won't happen. So a 61-year-old fossil won't sit there and tell me, the, the fan who's watching, that I don't understand the technicalities of the fight. What I understand is Shogun whooping Machida's ass. That's what I understood. He whooped his ass for three out of five rounds. Period. So, Cecil Peoples can kiss my ass today. How about that? Anyway, let's fucking move on, because I'm, I'm done. Uh, Spike TV announced that the preliminary card for UFC 104 scored 1.4 million viewers. That's a 1.3 rating in the all-important 18 to 34-year-old demographic, as well as the 18 to 49-year-old demographic, which, quite honestly, is also the demographic for this show. I have to actually give kudos to the UFC for you know, bringing the preliminary fights onto, the, onto free TV for three reasons. Number one, it makes people in, interested in the sport that haven't seen it because they're seeing pay-per-view quality fights for free. Number two, there's certain fights that aren't televised that you want to see, like the Ryan Bader fight, fights of that nature you want to see on television. And number three, it'll get people to buy pay-per-views, period. Also, Going back to my buddy Anthony Rumble Johnson, uh, SureDog announced that him and Josh Koscheck will be fighting at UFC 106. I'm actually very excited for this card because both guys are great wrestlers. They got a great stand-up game. Both guys, you know, they're hungry lions. They're trying to move up those rankings. They want, they want that shot at, you know, GSP. I think that this fight will be one of those fights that has to be on television. I mean, as of right now, the main card is broken down as follows. It's going to be Forrest Griffin and Tito, Rumble Johnson and Koscheck, Luis Kane and Ruggiero Nogueira, Dustin Hazlitt and Carl Parisian. Honestly, I can't fucking stand Carl Parisian. So honestly, I wouldn't even want to see that fight. I mean, I like Dustin Hazlitt. His fucking ground game is disgusting. Carl, I don't like. I honestly would have wanted to see Phil Baroni and Amir Sadala, which is one of the preliminary cards. I also would have liked to have seen Marcus Davis and Ben Saunders. What I'm hoping is that now that the UFC is doing some of the preliminary fights, they can put on Spike TV Baroni and Sadala, Marcus Davis and Saunders, and uh, I definitely would like to see uh, Kendall Grove and Jake Rochholt, and even uh, Jason Dent and George Sotteropoulos. Those are fights I definitely would like to see for free, so hopefully this trend will continue. Uh, to close out the MMA news for this week, uh, I want to give kudos to the state of Massachusetts as a New Yorker. I am throwing up on the inside saying that, but it seems that they are uh, passing the bill to allow mixed martial arts to be regulated in the state of Massachusetts. The bill was passed 144 to 10, and it's going to call for Massachusetts State Boxing Commission to expand to become a more general athletic commission. The bill is going to be signed by the governor, and you'll probably start seeing MMA in Massachusetts by 2010. Dana White has said that he would like to do a UFC event at Fenway. Not for nothing, as a New Yorker, I can definitely uh, express 
some displeasure for Boston just from a sports rivalry standpoint, but I would definitely take the drive to Massachusetts to see a fucking UFC event. Because you know what? These fucks, these douchebags here in New York with our fucking blind governor are never going to fucking sanction MMA because they're too busy lining their fucking pockets. When Batman gets kicked out of the fucking governor's mansion and we get somebody in there who knows what the fuck they're doing, maybe we'll get to see that. Until then, fucking Sonar Face can, you know, continue to line his pockets along with the rest of the fucking douchebags that run our, our, our state government. So, fuck them. Congrats to the state of Massachusetts for getting MMA. I will definitely make a little trip up there in 2010 if a good UFC event is up there. Well, that's going to close out the MMA segment for this week, and let's get into the wrestling segment. Uh, first off, I definitely want to give a little bit of kudos to WWE this week. Um, their choice of guest host for Raw, uh, Logano and Kyle Busch, the NASCAR race car drivers, were fucking worthless. I'll say that off the bat. But I definitely got to say that the movement in terms of promoting Kofi Kingston into a more uh, main event competitor were good. The teasing of turning either uh, both members of Legacy, DiBiase and Rhodes' face or Randy Orton's face are definitely good uh, for those who are not wrestling fans. Um, the term face is usually when they be, make somebody a quote-unquote good guy, and the term heel is usually the term that is used for bad guys. You're going to actually be hearing that um, often during the broadcast, so for those of you that are uninformed, you're going to take a little lesson with that today. But definitely Kofi versus Orton is a step in the right direction. I definitely like that they're trying to elevate new talent, but on the same token, um, one of the things that, I, and I'm going to go back a little bit to the bragging rights pay-per-view um, when Team Raw fought Team SmackDown, one thing that definitely showed that it, there's a mindless just shilling going on is Team Raw came out, all the members came out in Monday Night Raw t-shirts. Triple H and Shawn Michaels came out in D-Generation X t-shirts. For one night only, why couldn't they just fucking be one team? Oh, no. It's DX and the other guys against Team SmackDown. I definitely did not like that. I mean, they, they, that shows the favoritism that is, you know, dictated towards uh, Triple H and Shawn Michaels. But nonetheless, I think that overall I'm enjoying the fact that some of these younger guys are getting burned. Uh, the bragging rights pay-per-view also marked the heel turn for Batista. Batista actually turned on Rey Mysterio based on the fact that they were in a fatal four-way match with The Undertaker. Um, I think that Batista turning heel is a step in the right direction because not for nothing, him being the generic angry good guy or the tweener is fucking annoying. It's just like, I'm Batista. I fucking jump around and shoot pyro. I'm juiced to the gills. I tear a muscle if I fucking breathe through my left nostril the wrong way. It's, it, you know, it, it's, I, I like Batista. He has a cool gimmick. He has a really scary fucking look to him. But the, the fucking... I'm going to come out and shoot pyro and dress really pretty for, for a big dude and cut my little tough guy promos because I'm a good guy. That shit's getting old. I think that him turning bad, so to speak, would, would definitely is going to revitalize his career and it's going to definitely uh, lead to some interesting matches. Um, I'm more than sure they're going to move it 
Right now we're going to be blessed with the beautiful uh, Survivor Series main event, I believe, between The Big Show and The Undertaker. I'd rather watch fucking paint dry than watch those two motherfuckers wrestle. But you know what? Odds are that if The Undertaker does retain past Survivor Series, it'll probably lead to a face Undertaker heel Batista feud, which may be interesting. I mean, they feuded before, but with Batista being a quote-unquote heel, it should be interesting television. Um, next week's hosts for Raw are going to be Ozzy and Sharon Osbourne, which I'm more than sure there's going to be a lot of jokes about people not understanding what the motherfucking Prince of Darkness is saying. So I think that that's going to be very interesting. They're also going to be debuting a new uh, intro for Raw next week. I'm more than sure they'll have some new music to go along with that. Uh, last few bits of information, uh, Mickey James, who the WWE supposedly is not too fond of at the moment, may start a new career as a country music recording artist. Uh, she said uh, Mickey James was quoted as saying that she will announce her intentions in the next few weeks. Not for nothing, I wouldn't be surprised if Mickey James leaves WWE just because. You know, I've been noticing that, you know, there's some issues that have been mentioned about her gaining weight. I honestly think she looks perfectly fine, but I'm more than sure not everyone, especially in the WWE, is where you know, it's all very figure-friendly, are going to agree with that statement. But nonetheless, you know, I mean, odds are if she leaves, she might go into country music, and who knows, she might end up in TNA, which actually, as of right now, I feel has the most dominant women's division in the United States. Uh, moving into some other news, the big news story this week was Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff had a press conference in, at Madison Square Garden this week which, ironically enough, I was sent a direct message by Eric Bischoff that I should go because it would be exciting. Uh, hey, Eric, when I emailed you asking you about the information or about whether you'd want to be on the show, if you would have responded to that, maybe I would have taken a day off from work to go down there and hear Hulk Hogan's big announcement, which is, drum roll please, that he signed with TNA. That's the big thing. Hulk Hogan went, he plugged his book, he did a, an appearance on Larry King, and he announced that he was signing with TNA Wrestling, which, good and bad, and it, this is why I didn't add too many wrestling news to this week, because this is going to take up a few minutes. First off, anytime Hulk Hogan's been involved in any organization where he is in a higher position of power, the younger talent suffers because it's all about him. It's going to be, hey, run into my big boot. Let me drop my leg on you. Hopefully I won't break my hip so that I can win your heavyweight championship. These are Hogan matches. It's I'm going to beat you up, then I'm going to hulk up, then I'm going to throw you into the ropes, then I'm going to hit you with my geriatric fucking big boot, and then I'm going to use my geriatric leg drop. Who the fuck loses to that? When people are doing flipping pile drivers and 360 fucking splashes, who loses to that shit, number one? Number two, Eric Bischoff was one of the factors in WCW becoming uh, one of the most popular promotions back in the day when there were the Monday Night Wars between uh, WWE and WCW. On the same token, Eric Bischoff was also part of the reason that WCW died. Now, there may be some people that are going to agree and disagree with that. I don't give a shit. My general consensus is that those guys, 
if they come in and they're team players and they want to help younger talent and they want to help the younger guys, you know, impart some knowledge, you know, in terms of, you know, promoting themselves, becoming more aware of yourself as a brand, I'm all for it. If he takes a position in the front office and helps TNA become um, a better number two competitor to WWE, I'm all for it. Samoa Joe was quoted on Twitter saying that he's all for it. And if he seen this, when he put that up on Twitter, I responded and saying, look, I'm all for it until you younger guys start fucking losing to the big boot and the leg drop. I honestly think that his involvement can either end really great or it can end really bad. But I'm going to reserve judgment until I'd say another month or so when, you know, all the hype has died down. And we're going to see what happens with a lot of, a lot of these great new stars that TNA has. We're going to see if they're going to move forward and become bigger stars with Hulk Hogan behind them kind of navigating the bus as opposed to him being the fucking bus itself. If he makes the, every storyline revolve around him, people are going to stop caring. I guarantee you that the first night he appears on TNA, there's going to be a huge, huge increase in viewers just because people want to see that. But if the main event for their fucking pay-per-view is Sting versus Hulk Hogan in a fucking fiber fiber on a pole match or a fucking diaper on a pole match, I'm going to fucking stop watching TNA forever. As a matter of fact, if I start seeing that shit, I may even fucking get rid of this segment because this is bullshit. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off a little bit of judgment for about four weeks. Let's, let's use it at that. We're going to go four weeks, and we're going to see what happens with TNA in four weeks. If it starts to suck, I'm going to let them have it. Until then, I'm going to just use the wait-and-see approach. With that, in, with that said, let's go right into this week's gaming news. Uh, first off, uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance is going to be getting Cable as one of the downloadable characters. A few episodes ago, I was discussing Carnage being one of the downloadable characters. The next character appears to be Cable. Uh, Cable comes with his usual gun and technological enhancements. He's going to have a little bit of combat action, and he's going to be doing fusion attacks. One of the screenshots I saw earlier this week showed him and Iron Man combining firepower for some type of fusion attack, which is one of those things that should be very interesting. I haven't gotten a chance to really get into Ultimate Alliance. I did pick it up. Um, I'm right between three games right now. I picked up Tekken 6, DJ Hero, which I will have reviews for those, whether in print or for the show within the next week. Um, but Ultimate Alliance, I've been getting a lot of different reviews. Hyena, one of our regular callers who is um, also from the video game forum on MySpace, uh, told me that it, it was good, but it wasn't great. And, you know, I always try to support Marvel products most of the time, and right about now I'm going to try and start it within the next few weeks just so I can test out some of this downloadable content to be, you know, to be giving you guys more of a critical review as opposed to just, you know, shitting on things that I haven't gotten a chance to try out yet. I definitely welcome Carnage being in the game while the game isn't rated M, they can't push Carnage to that limit of what we've expected from the comics, but his inclusion is cool. Um, Cable's going to add a really cool dynamic to the game just because he has a lot of um, awesome powers ranging from, you know, 
uh, telekinesis and psychic powers to you know his all his awe inspiring Punisher style arsenal of gadgets and weaponry. So I think that he will be a welcome addition to Ultimate Alliance, but I will reserve judgment and give a, a full review as soon as the pack comes out with the other characters and as soon as I start playing the game. A uh, little love to the PC gamers this week. Uh, Valve and Activision announced that Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is going to be a, on Steamworks. It's going to have Steamworks features that are going to be um, activated as soon as the game is available on Steam. Uh, by including Steamworks in Call of Duty, it's going to allow the best anti-cheat technology to be used. Um, I'm quoting the article. That's not me. It's also going to allow 50 Steam achievements. Um, the oh, excuse me. The head of uh, Valve said, and I quote: "Steamworks will make it possible for us to have a closer connection to our fans and enable us to support our community much more than ever before." Whoops. That was said by the uh, creative strategist at Infinity Ward. Steam is, hands is the hands-down leader in offering a community-focused experience on PC, and the inclusion of Steamworks has allowed us to deliver the most feature-rich PC version to ever come from Infinity Ward, which at the end of the day will mean the most to our fans. So I think that by allowing those achievements in Steam, I think that would be pretty cool. I also like the fact that Steam is very, very, very firm in terms of uh, banning cheaters and handling cheating players because these first-person shooter games on the PC always the main gripe I hear is about how people uh, cheat the fuck out of those games. So definitely going to have to give Steam a, a shout. I mean, I've been seeing a lot of people telling me that they've got a great library of games, so I'm going to see if I can uh, start messing with Steam once I build my new computer in a few weeks. Uh, PS3 owners are going to be able to start getting Netflix uh, at no additional cost beginning next month, which I think is a fantastic idea. I think that when you have something as powerful as the PlayStation 3, which if, if you get down to it is a gaming system and kind of um, a bare-bones home theater PC because you can watch TV, stream music, pictures, uh, video content from your computer. So the next progression definitely had to be Netflix. The execution of Netflix on the PS3 is going to be done with a disc that you get from Netflix that you have to load into the PS3, and it will allow you to view Netflix content. I think that while not the best way to do it, I think it's a great solution just to allow PS3 gamers to enjoy Netflix. I initially, I have to be honest, I, I shit on the concept of Netflix on the 360, but what was I doing on Wednesday? Watching fucking old kung fu movies on my Xbox 360 instead of playing any games, which I had bought. So as much as I complained about it, I have used the service, and I think that this is definitely a step in the right direction for Netflix. And there's also talk that the Wii is also going to get Netflix functionality uh, by 2010. I think that Netflix is really pushing the digital streaming forward on all their devices. I mean, if you buy any good name brand Blu-ray player, you get Netflix streaming most of the time. You get YouTube, Pandora, or Slacker Radio. So I think that this is really the next step in evolution for a lot of consoles. One of the things that I was talking about with someone earlier was the fact that, um, you know, 
all these newer systems have wireless built in, but every time they build a new 360, it doesn't occur to them to include wireless in, a, in the console. Not for nothing, you know, the having to spend 100 bucks to go wireless is fucking horse shit, and having to pay the 100 bucks for the peripheral is fucking bullshit, especially now that they lowered the price a couple of dollars for the old one, and all of a sudden now, you know, you have to get the new one to take advantage of the new... Uh, the new bandwidth with uh, wireless N. If you guys are going to put out 19 different versions of the Xbox, why don't you open the little motherfucker up and put wireless in it? Instead of beating people over the head $100 for something that's included in the fucking Wii, which is significantly cheaper than the fucking 360. What the fuck, Microsoft? Put wireless in this bitch. Besides the fact that you're putting chips and all this other shit to make sure that you don't get the fucking red ring of death, why don't you, while you're in there, add wireless to the fucking system? Oh, it's going to make the system more expensive. Really? Really? So the Wii having wireless is more expensive, you fucking imbeciles? This goes back to the same shit that I say. For every good thing Microsoft does, they do dumb shit. Their proprietary hard drive dumb shit. Their fucking necessity for buying wireless adapters that are fucking more than a controller. Dumb shit. Period. It really is. The fact that, you know, I can't use my own hard drive when I can do that with the fucking PS3, when I can add my own SD card to the fucking Wii, bothers me. And I like the Xbox. I do. I, buy, I, I, I own a majority of my games from new consoles for the 360. Once again, it's these little nuances that crawl under my fucking skin and, and, just, and just drive me to fucking rip what little hair I have out of my head. Because honestly, why do I need to run a 100-foot cable through my fucking room to a router when my 360 and my PS3 don't need any wires. Fuck, Microsoft. Get your thumbs out of your ass. And instead of making a Call of Duty 360 or a fucking 360 with a toaster in it, put fucking wireless in it. Even if it's an extra 20 bucks, fuck it. It's one less wire that people have to run through their fucking houses. Please, help us out. You know, the... The host of My Take Radio, along with the listeners, would appreciate one less fucking wire. Thank you. Moving on. What do we got here? Ah, yes. Good old we coming in with something that's going to just separate me from my money. Uh, according to Joystick, a WiiWare version of Excitebike is coming on November 9th. It appears that that version of Excitebike will have a new World Rally Tour edition, and it will also have a track editor and online multiplayer. So for those of you that want a little taste of nostalgia, please check it out, because I love Excite Bike. I played that shit religiously when I was younger. I, I especially liked the fact that you can make all these awesome courses. So once again, the Wii has succeeded in separating me from my money. Also, New Super Mario Brothers. Last week, 
I didn't really get a chance to go into it too much, but New Super Mario Brothers for the Wii is an awesome fucking game, and U.S. gamers will be able to play it on November 15th. So in a few weeks, you'll be able to check out uh, the New Super Mario Brothers, which is a fantastic game. So those of you that are on the fence about it, I am definitely co-signing this game and saying that it is a a good game to pick up, especially if you play with a large group of people, because the simplicity will allow new players to come on board and just have fun playing through some of the Mario stages. And for those of us seasoned Mario veterans, we're going to get to experience some other stages and some cool power-ups. So that is a step in the right direction. I mean, yeah, it is a bit of a rehash, but just the play style and, uh, you know, the allowance of other gamers to enjoy something so simplistic as Mario is is really nice in my eyes. And, you know, it's fucking 50 bucks, yeah. 50 bucks you may not want to spend, but it's fucking Mario. Everyone loves Mario. Uh, Capcom informed uh, the general public sometime this week, I don't have all the notes, that they will be releasing two new titles via the PlayStation Network. I need to find out if they're for the PSP Go, because one of them is Mega Man Maverick Hunter X, which is coming out with updated 3D graphics, remixed tunes, and unlockable features. I honestly hope it is for the PlayStation 3, as I do not have a PSP. They will also be releasing Darkstalkers Chronicles, The Chaos Tower, and that's also being redesigned and updated for the PSN. Um, I'm actually going to, once this broadcast is over, investigate that further and find out if it is for the PS3, because guess what I'll be doing? I will be buying, especially the, the Darkstalker shit. And if it has, you know, online battles, that's going to be fantastic. I've always, I've always been a, ba- a fan of Darkstalkers, and I've always said that that game definitely d- deserves the new art style and the new uh, updated graphics treatment, especially because of the great hand-drawn animations that that game has, as well as some of the fantastic colors. Um, Nintendo, as wonderful as it is with the new Mario, they do this. Nintendo recently revealed that they will be putting out a larger DSi. It's going to be coming out November 21st in Japan. It's going to be coming out first quarter of 2010 in Europe, and it will be released in the U.S. also during the first quarter of 2010. Now, this is one of the things that annoys me. Didn't the DSi just come out, the new one, the DSi XL? Why are you putting that out? Please explain this to me. If the DSi just came out, and there are still people that didn't even buy the DSi because they have the DS Lite, what is with the big fucking DSi? What are you going to do with it? Is it going to have an ebook reader? Is it going to be a fucking cookbook? Like, what the fuck is the necessity? For something that big. It's going to be a 4.2 inch screen. Why? Are, are, are you trying to fucking pull, pull a Sony on us and just piss people off that have already bought your fucking systems? Oh, here's a bigger one. It has a bigger screen. What the fuck else does it do? Nothing. Oh, it has a bigger screen. What else does it do? A bigger screen. No, fuckhead. What else does it do? A bigger screen. No, fuck you guys. Nintendo... You're fucking up again. Why do we need a bigger DS? Please tell us, your, your, your consumers, why the fuck we need a 4.2-inch DSi. Please. 
please put out a list of features that it has that the DSi that most people have and the DS Lite don't do. Because if it all does the same shit, you guys are fucking stupid. With that said, I'm really hoping that it does do some other shit. Because the fact that it's bigger, bigger doesn't always mean better. Just ask anyone with a prolapse rectum. Ah, we got some callers. Let's see who we got. I'm guessing it is you, Slick. What do you have for us, sir? Uh, <clears throat> first, I, you know, I just wanted to say congratulations on having so much rage tonight. <laughs> oh, dude, I don't, I don't, I don't, let me tell you something. As I made up the notes for this week, my fingers were shaking as I was typing because I just got angrier and angrier as I read back to myself what the fuck we were talking about on tonight's show. Please tell me that you have some sort of information that will justify a bigger DS. Something. Does it have a fucking Kindle in it? Does it have iTunes? Like, what the fuck is a 4.2 DS going to do? It has more colors. <laughs> it, you know... Any other time... It comes in more colors. That's fetish. Any other times, dude, I would, I would entertain that with at least a, an inkling of a smirk. But let me tell you something. My asshole isn't even sma- smiling from that. You want to know why? Because did, I just went, and I'll use this as a perfect example. My sister, my 18-year-old sister has autism. She is a huge Nintendo fan. I have bought her every Nintendo system from the original Nintendo till now. That being said, her birthday was in August. I went and bought her a DSi. Oh, God. It just came out. So I bought her a DSi. You know, it could take pictures, and she could record her voice on it. You know, really awesome stuff that was new, and I figured she would enjoy. She kept her DS Lite as well because she plays um, Game Boy Advance games. Okay, no problem. Now... I bought her the shit in August. In January, there's a fucking new one already? Why? I don't, I don't understand the fact of the whole 4.2-inch screen thing. Yeah, it's a bigger screen. What, are you going to watch DVDs on it? Does it have a television? Does it have a TV receiver built in for over-the-air broadcast? Does it have, like I said, an ebook reader? Does it have, is it a fucking cell phone? Something. Something other than the fact that, oh, it's, 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 a, it's, a bigger, it's a bigger screen. Fuck you, Nintendo. Fuck you. A bigger screen doesn't mean dick. It doesn't. You want to know why? Because most people either have a DS Lite or have a DSi already. But it, this one comes in red wine. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Nintendo thinks we do. Because this one comes in red wine. Oh, fuck them. All right. What else do you got? Well, I definitely want to agree with you on the new Super Mario Brothers because you and I were both standing there playing that at Comic-Con and having a shitload of fun. How awesome is that shit, 
How awesome is that shit? And mind you, mind you, they've succeeded in once again conning us to buying something we've already played. Because once you strip away the penguin suit, the little helicopter fucking Pete Rose haircut propeller hat, once you strip all that away, it's still fucking Super Mario 3. Well, it's more Super Mario World because Yoshi's in it. Yeah, well, fuck him too. But but I mean... (laughs) I mean, I mean, honestly, the, the simplicity and, and, and the actual genuine enjoyment I had for that game guaranteed me dropping 50 bucks on it. Because it was exactly. so simplistic. And we were all playing. You know, my girl played. You were playing. I was playing. You saw fucking little kids all playing together. It was so fun that I didn't think about the fact that I was playing a rehashed Mario game. And you know what? When you break it down to it, when you get to the, to the nitty-gritty of it, that is what, that's what gaming really is. It isn't about pretty fucking graphics. It's not about new advancements in technology. It's about, it's about genuinely enjoying something different, about- escaping, escaping mentally. And you know what? Sometimes, and I have to give Nintendo credit, sometimes that's all you need. Because you saw that graphically, it's not the most graphically superior game. No, but, it but was it's about fun. two grown-ass men playing with the Wiimotes while a cute Nintendo rep makes dick jokes with them. That's what it's about. It is. But uh, on top of the fact, it is also about what, what Nintendo, you know, uh, once again, you know, I shit on Nintendo for the DSi, and, and, and I got to come back and give them credit for bringing gaming back to what it what it was in essence. You know, yeah, the pretty graphics and, and, you know, fucking realistic cinemas and all that shit, I love that. It's great. It shows the advancements in technology. But one of the reasons why I owned a Wii as opposed to, you know, not picking it up was because they're easily accessible games. When you have a group of people over, you can't tell, you know, certain people, hey, let's play Halo. Not everybody knows about that shit. But you know what? When you look at Mario, when you look at Punch-Out!, when you look at Excitebike, those are games that are synonymous with gaming culture. Those are games that make you, you know, they put a smile on your face. Those are the games that when people are over on Thanksgiving, hey, man, let's throw on this Wii Sports, and everybody's playing Wii Sports while you're making Thanksgiving dinner. Or Christmas Day, you know, you throw it on while people are hanging out at your house. You know, Nintendo really focuses that that genuine care in terms of making us give a fuck about their product because we we look at it and we're like, oh, this cutesy baby shit. But guess what? Behind closed doors, we're playing Mario. We're playing Wii Sports. We're playing Wii Fit. So you know what? They win at the end. They don't have the most advanced system. They don't. They don't have the biggest, um, you know, uh, core access of technology. You know, they don't have a fucking uh, a machine that can fucking cure heart disease and shit when you leave the PS3 running. You know, they do shit with that or things of that nature. They don't have systems that are, you know, graphically superior. But at the end of the day, they have systems that are genuinely fun. And it annoys me when they do shit like they do with the Game Boy because the Game Boy is the number one console in this country from a portable standpoint because the games are fun, the quality of the games is good, and, you know, it's a system that's just synonymous with enjoyment. Every kid from young to old, including us, has owned some type of Game Boy. 
you. Period. When I say Game Boy, every kid knows what it is. Everyone. Old Spanish ladies, when I used to work in a video game store, you can offer them, tur- you know, TurboGrafx Portable, the fucking Nomad. I want Game Boy. <laughs> but, but you can play Genesis games on this. No. Quiero Game Boy. Everyone. From third world motherfuckers to people that barely spoke English, they all said Game Boy. Period. So Nintendo, at the end of the day, dude, they're fucking everybody. Because everybody's playing the shit that, that's fun. That's it. That's really it. I mean, you know, we're, we're here talking about the genuine enjoyment of the shit, but that really is what it's all about at the end of the day. Pure, unadulterated enjoyment. Absolutely. But with that um, being said, um, I know I uh, ran a little long. What else do you got, my friend? Well, now that I finally got my new computer going, I'm trying to upload some of the stuff that we we got from Comic-Con. I wanted to talk a little bit on Darksiders. Ah, actually, I'm going to ask you to hold off on that just because I'm kind of working to get them on the show. So okay, I don't want to ruffle. I don't want to ruffle any feathers by putting out, you know, certain things that we have in our possession. Okay. Well, give me give I'll me a week. Things, I'll let you know. I'll get certain things to you, and then I'll let let you decide what to do with it. I um I think that we can pull the trigger on that stuff Thursday. All right. Okay, no problem. All right, homie. Other than that, um, no, not right now. I'll let you get back to the rest of the things that I'll call back if anything. You got it, sir. Thanks again. All right. Talk to you later. All right, man. Later. Caller, you are on the air. Who's this? Kuma, it's Kevin Baird. What's going on? Hey, Kev. What's going on? I was listening to your video game rant, and I had to call in. I um, And, and, and it was very spirited. You're very angry at Microsoft for not putting wireless in the Xbox 360. But you know what it is, Kevin, and, and you can vouch for this too because you've invested a lot of money into your gaming collection. Think about, think about that just for a second. The Wii, which is, you know, the cheapest system, the least technologically advanced system, has fucking wireless. The PS3, the most expensive, the most woo, the most fucking mind-blowingly awesome system has wireless. Why can't, the, why can't Microsoft get that right? I think you're right. I think, though, that, you know, what they're doing, of course, is they're trying to profit on people buying the adapter. And they could just make the adapter a lot cheaper, a lot cheaper. And then yep. it might be okay. Because, like, I, it did come out a year earlier than everybody else. So, you know, at the time, maybe, wireless might have just jacked the price up a little bit more than they wanted to do to put it in the console. So, you know, and plus, being a Microsoft product, if they did put it in the console, it would probably burn out. So, you know, <laughs> let, letting us buy it for a really low price, you know, I'm thinking like $10 or something, because the part nowadays cannot be that expensive. For just a nope. simple, like, 802.11G or something, I mean, you know, even N probably isn't that expensive, but if they just gave us G for like 10 bucks, just, you know, just give us that. You know, uh, you know, it's like um, you're totally right. It should be included in the console at this point, especially because they keep coming out with these new revisions. But yep. for whatever reason, 
You know, I mean, we all know what the reason is. I mean, they're just yeah, trying indeed. to get that that after sales sale. You know, and it's just. It, but the price for that wireless adapter is like it's ridiculous. Isn't it like seventy dollars or something? It's well, like you know um, the the lower tier one, I believe, is seventy, and then the new one with N, I believe, is a hundred or yeah. ninety. <laughs> it's, it's like I mean, that's come on, games almost. Or or at least make it compatible with some other ones. Like you know, if I if I've got one already, you know, like for my laptop or something, let me use that. You know, don't. It's so ridiculous, but. Um, I, I think the uh, Nintendo, I think that deal with the larger screen, I bet that's a manufacturing thing. I bet that the manufacturers of those screens came to Nintendo and were like, we can get you a bigger screen, but it'll be cheaper than the screen you're using now. You know, and Nintendo was like, all right. You know, because if they shave a dollar off that screen in cost, you know, and they sell a million of those things, they say they, they earned a million dollars extra. You know, then it's like, I don't know, free sushi night for them for like a, a week or something for all the employees. <laughs> you, you know, I, I just think that in a lot of cases it's a it's a manufacturing thing because like the DS, the original screens for the DS were the Game Boy Advance screens. Right. And they're the same, you know, Nintendo got a deal on those screens, you know, that so they had a, you know, a, a manufacturing agreement to get those screens really cheap. So that's why they went with that two screens rather than the one big screen like Sony went, you know, it wasn't like some crazy innovation thing, you know, common sense tells you that, you know, a, a screen twice as large would be better than taking two screens and separating them, you know, yep. if I had That's a true. giant monitor, it would be better than having two monitors, yeah, but, you know, it, but, but Nintendo, they put spit on everything, you know, two screens is awesome, you know, Woo! you know, we all fell for it, and, and this is just the same thing, I'm sure of it, it's just, it's just that the manufacturers came to them and just said, you know, you can save a buck on each screen, and, you know, Nintendo's just like, cool. You know, and they'll probably charge more for it. They'll probably be like, good, we'll save a dollar, and we'll raise the price. Well, I, you know? I, actually, I actually had, and you have, you have a valid point, but I actually had a, an interesting take on it, and that is maybe Nintendo's going to fucking blow the lid off this ebook reader shit and just come out and be like, hey, you can play our games, and you can buy books from. You know, let's just let's just throw it out there. Let's say they they partnered with Amazon. Oh, the Kindle software is going to be on the DS. Holy shit! You, you know, like that that right there is. Huge. Yeah, you know the the you're, you know the thing is though with Nintendo, if it was Sony or Microsoft or something, but the thing with Nintendo is that they're very Japanese oriented. They concentrate on their domestic market more than anything else. Yep. And, I mean, if there's, if, if they're, you know, if they're, um, if, if that's cool in Japan, the, the book readers and everything, then, yeah, they'll do that, you know. But it, it's like that, that's their market. They, they tune everything for that. I mean, half the stuff that they come out with doesn't even come out over here, you know, yep. because they just, they, they're just happy keeping, you know, the homeland satisfied. And if they can get extra money from, right, if they can get extra money from us, cool. But um, I don't ever think they sit around in boardrooms and say, you know, how do we get the Americans to buy more DSs? I, I think they really make these decisions on, you know, okay, everybody in Japan has two DS systems. How do we sell them a third? You know? And they're like, bigger screens! I mean, I, I, I think that's all it is. Well, you I, know I what just the don't... funny thing is, their validation 
for a bigger screen was for the older gamers, the senior citizen gamers. Are you right. fucking kidding me? <laughs> but, but in Japan, maybe, because, you know, they, they uh, it, you know, there's just, I mean, come on, we've been watching these, these DS sales for years now, and, and they sell like crazy over there. So they're probably just, you know, Nintendo has always been trying to move into new markets, and they've probably had peer review or whatever. They go around and have polls and stuff, and they probably ask old people. They're like, how come you don't use this? And the old people probably say, you know, I can't. I can't. Right. So Nintendo just turns around and says, okay, make it bigger. You know, I mean, I, 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 honestly, I, I, I think that's all it is. They're just, they're just all, they're all about, um, they're all about Japan. That's and, and that's cool. fine, you know, you're all, it's great to be, you know, um, jingoistic, you know, it's fantastic to be that, you know, it's like us, you know, it's like, oh, America, rah, 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 and, you know, America, fuck yeah, you know, like, that's how we are, and that's great, right. I'm all for right. that, but what, what, what alarms me, especially, and, and this is just me being an adult, in this shitty-ass economy, if you already bought your kid a DS, or a DSi, and the kid sees, oh, no DS with a big screen. Mommy, mommy, I want a DS with a big screen. Before you know it, mommy has to go. Sell the well, DS. Nintendo has. Nintendo has. And buy the right, right, you're right. And Nintendo has said that they want to follow a, an Apple computer model, where, you know, how Apple makes a revision, a small revision every year, and uh, Nintendo wants to follow that, that same model, so that every year, their their system uh, gets re, you know gets a revision, and so you know the Wii hasn't had any revisions, but you know they're I think Nintendo pretty much sat around with mouths agape like the rest of us that the thing sold so well, and so they were like all right we're not going to screw this up you know but I remember at E3 they were showing multicolored DSs when they announced the system you know and that was before it launched, yep. and uh, you know they've had those things probably waiting in the wings forever for the system sales to finally drop off like they have been, you know. So uh, th those revisions will come, too. I think every year you'll just see Nintendo make another revision to the system. And, um, you know, blame Apple. Well, you know, it, it's, good, it's good that you put it that way, and I, and I do want to blame Apple. But on the same token, it's like, you know, there have to be more endearing reasons to upgrade, whether it's portable consoles or regular. I don't, I don't like the fact that the bigger screen is the only motivation behind making people want to upgrade. You know, the PSP yeah. Go was, you know, hard drive-based, smaller, pocket-friendly, no hard, no um, media that could be destroyed. There were, there were a couple of selling points that, while they weren't the strongest selling points, you can kind of look at it and be like, eh, okay, I can see that. But when your only selling point is a 4.2-inch screen and zero else unless they fucking blow our minds with something, I, I just feel that it's really just, you know, it's like poking your finger in a hole and then another hole gets opened up and water comes out and you plug your finger with that hole. At the end of the day, you're not accomplishing shit. You're, you're so right. And, and Nintendo doesn't get it all the time. Like, they, you know, when they have the N64... And everybody was screaming about, you know, you should go CD, you should go CD, and all this stuff. Nintendo's idea of a revision of the N64 was to come out with new colors, yep. or or to come or to come out with the um, 
the, the four megabyte memory, the extra, whatever it was, I forget, the memory boost come with the console. You know, yep. that was their idea of like trying to improve. You know, in Japan, they had that 64 DD and the online and all that crazy stuff. But in the United States, they, they treat us like we're children. You know, it's, yeah. just, it's the kids' market. Uh, you know, give them a Pokemon system. You know, give them a Platinum GameCube. And, um, you know, and they keep all the good stuff over there sometimes. I don't know. I mean, whatever. <laughs> no, I, and, you know, we, we can sit here and, and, you, and you and I can really, really get into it. But at the end of the day, the fact is that the American public are fucking cheap. And until we go, hey, man, why are we going to fucking pay you guys more money? What, because of a screen? Fuck you guys. You know, until we really and – th- and this is the thing, you know, we really have to make a stand with our wallets. Because I, I just spent, you know, 200 bucks buying my sister a DSi for her birthday. And, you know, don't get me wrong. A bigger screen is great. But it, really, that's it. And then the most disgusting part is that there's no money to be made in you trading, say, the DSi you have now. Because you walk into GameStop and you go, Hi, I'm here with my DSi and I want to trade it in for the other DSi, 50 bucks. Right, if you're lucky. Like, you motherfuckers, I paid 150 and you give me 50 bucks, and then I got to buy this one, which is nearly 200 bucks? Yeah. You're right. It's horseshit, dude. Like, at least if Nintendo said, hey, if you're if brand loyalty, hey, bring in your DSi Lite, and you can save 75 bucks. And it's, you know, say there's, the system's 175. You know, there, you pay not, there, there's not enough value in your purchase when your purchase isn't, like it used to be. You know, when you bought an Atari 2600 going way back, you know, that thing would last you forever because they would give you, you know, there was all kinds of stuff that it would come out for that. You know, it wasn't like they came out with a new one every other, you know, with, with different stuff. You just added stuff to it, you know. And uh, now, you know, we're getting this thing where the consoles themselves are getting these minor upgrades, all of them. You know, all of them are. You're getting bigger hard drives. You're getting... Um, well, in the case of Sony, they took some stuff away, but you know, uh, it, it's um, it, it's changing the it's changing it for us because now when we buy something, it becomes outdated so much quicker, which yeah, is the uh, value of the dollar. The value of the dollar is just out the fucking window. It's like it's like re- people really think that you can go in your yard and shake a tree and money will fall out. Like it's disgusting. Like, I go into a mall, and we're supposed to be in this big economic crisis, and there's motherfuckers in GameStop buying DJ Hero for 200 bucks. I was one of those fucks. You know, I was in there like, fuck, man, I have 200 bucks. Um, what do I do? Oh, yeah, let me buy DJ Hero. You know, because that's what right. happens. That's what we've been fucking turned into, just my right. consumers. Well, like when Sega was around, like with the Genesis, you know, they basically said, oh, well, now we got this CD, you know, you can connect that to the Genesis, you know. And uh, then they tried to do the 32X, which sucked, but at least they tried. You know, they gave people a, a way to try to upgrade their system, you know. They didn't just say, like, well, now we have the CD system, we're going to abandon that cartridge system, you know. I mean, it was kind of like you just had to, like, plug in. I don't know. I don't know which bottle's better. I mean, but, you know, at the end of the day, you still had something that was relevant which, you know, now it's kind of like, just like what you're saying, man, I got an old DS. I don't even have a DSi, you know? So if any of these DSi games come out, they're not going to work for me, you know? Or, or whatever option there is, it's not there. So I'm going to have to go out and buy, 
you know, uh, a new DS in order to just, yep. you know, be able to play the games that I could be able to play, but they added some picture-taken thing to the game, you know, that's well, probably, you know, extraneous anyway. I probably don't even need it. You know, it just puts my face in the game. I'm just going to, I'm going to put it like this. The DSi was released in Japan for one reason, one reason only, cockpicks. That was it. <laughs> That's why the DSi came out, because you get on the fucking train, you see all these creepo Japanese businessmen, you know, with all the shit that they always talk about, and it's, it's like they're probably taking pictures through their fly, because why do they have a camera facing your junk? And then they turn the screen around real slow, and they show it to the girl. Like, really, like why are there two cameras on that shit? Like, I'm still trying to figure that out. One camera's fine, but two? Putting it under the dresses and everything, taking cross shots. Totally. Hey, dude, like, really, that's, that's really it, man, because I'm still trying to figure out the functionality. Like, I watch my sister play it, and I'm like, why the fuck do you need two cameras again? I still don't understand. It, oh, yeah. Right. Nintendo makes some questionable choices. But, I, again, I think it's, you know, they, they have their peer groups, and it's all, in, it's all based on what Japan wants. If you ever want to understand that company, just, on, you know, just look at what's going on in Japan, and that's, you know, that's where Nintendo's going. And, there you go. You know, that's where we're at. All right, man, I'll let you get back to it. So, good talking. Before, before, before you leave, uh, please, let's, let's get a plug, sir. Oh, well, you can listen to uh, Video Game News Radio. Um, best way to find it is just go to uh, vgn.libsyn, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. And um, you can also uh, listen to Akuma on uh, our last Cleveland Sports Radio, which is at CSR. .libsyn.com. Uh, check it out. Uh, it, it's posted up today, so you can listen to it. All right, man. Good talking. I'll talk to you later. Bro. Later. All right. We got some more callers. We got 45 minutes left. We're going to have to fucking go at light speed. Lightning round. You're on the air. Who's this? Hey, it's Arcady. Hey, what's going on? Not too much. I will make this quick because it's fairly simple anyway. I, as far as I'm concerned, Nintendo has only one more product they need to come out with before I'm done with them. And that What's is, that? Well, I remember, you know, back in Super Nintendo, you know, they had the Super Game Boy, and then, you know, they had the, uh, the attachment to the GameCube where you could play the Game Boy Advance games. Well, now they need to do yep. that for the fucking Wii. I agree. That would be awesome. Because all they need to do, little Wacom tablet, whatever the fuck they want to do, and they already got an SD slot in there that pretty much fits the fucking, you know, it fits the uh, DS card anyway. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how they could implement it, but I mean, duh, it's all there. <laughs> I definitely forgot about that. That is a great idea. You know, I would saying? welcome that before another DS. I honestly would, because I'd buy it. The Game Boy Player was fucking sweet. Right, right. Everyone fucking loved them because they got the play. Instead of making a system with a, or a handheld with with a screen that's a couple of inches long, uh, bigger, put on your fucking LCD. <laughs> you know. Right. I agree. You know that that's all they need to do now. I, they would make so much more money on that. I would think. I yep, mean, and it would be a little bit more up-converting. It would up-convert the graphics a little bit so they don't look so pixelated. I think that would be a great idea. And you know what? I think that would be gobbled up by the masses just as fast. Because you know what? I'd love to play fucking Trauma Center, you know, the, the DS version, not the console version, you know, on my TV. That'd be cool because that's the one that everybody says is really good. Right. 
that's that's, that's awesome. I give you kudos for that. You need to fucking uh, start a petition, kid. No way, dude. They already got that under their belt. They're just trying to milk everybody else. They're not stupid. They know what the fuck they're doing. If they're going to wait another two years and go, hey, we just came out with it. We just killed this idea. Yeah, you never know. You might be right. We'll see what happens. Yep. All right, right. my dears. Thank you for the call. No problem. Later. Later. All right, who do we got? Oh, we got, I forgot, I have Ann on the line. Ann, what do you got, my friend? I really don't really have anything to say right now. I mean, you pretty much got all the rage out as you can do. Um, All right, well. Well, I will I will mute I will mute you until the movie segment then. <laughs> no, no, wait, wait. Are you are you done the game segment now or like? I am. Yeah, I'm gonna just uh, do the last bit of news about Uncharted and uh, head into the movie segment. Ah, uh, then yeah, just mute me then. All right. Later. Caller, you're on the air. Who's this? Oh, Rich, this is Strider. Hey, dude, what's going on? So man, uh, I just want to get your uh, just want to get your feedback on one thing. Uh, well, you already, I think you already touched on what on uh, Netflix coming to uh, the Wii, I believe. That's correct. Okay, now I'm just wondering. I mean, who is really going to take advantage of that shit? I mean, you consider I mean, you consider all the people that play online with the Wii in comparison to people that use the online functions of the 360 and the and the PlayStation 3. I mean. Do you think it's a bad move on their part to try and incorporate some sort of uh, 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 feature like this, knowing that there's not too many people that will actually take advantage of it based on the number of people that actually play online or use the online functionality of the Wii? Well, here's the thing, and this is what I think is going to happen. And once again, totally on me, totally armchair quarterback, I'm going to definitely have to say that when Netflix comes onto the Wii, there'll be a larger influx of more kid-friendly DVDs and movies and TV shows and programming of that nature available on Netflix when that happens. That's not to say that the Wii is a a child-friendly system, but just from the standpoint of Nintendo's course of action. Nintendo's going to probably be like, look, we're a family-oriented system. We're all about the family. We're all about community gaming. Uh, We're going to need more movies and things released through that portal that will attract our audience, the casual gaming audience. You know, the guys that want to watch, you know, this week's Office or things of that nature. The PS3 crowd, you know, we're more, you know, the PS3 crowd, and I include myself in that, we're more tech savvy. We're more aware of, you know, Blu-ray. We're more aware of what resolutions our TVs are, what special effects and things of that nature movies have that we look for. We're more in tuned with the technology. Same thing with 360 owners, depending on which uh, caliber and which side of the coin you're looking at. We're more, we're more ingrained with being more technologically advanced. Not to say that we owners are not, but just the fact that we's, the Wii system is more casual. So you want, you know, an all-in-one, just casual system. Oh, let me watch, a, you know, one episode of, let's say, Everybody Loves Raymond. You know what I mean? Like, it's probably going to be Nintendo's bargaining chip. Like, hey, man, you can use our hardware and pump your system through, but we're going to want more stuff. You know, we're going to want more communal, more more family-friendly fare. Yeah. And uh, one more thing. Uh, yes, on that note, 
do you think that the Wii Netflix will be as will be as successful as the place as the 360 or PlayStation 3 Netflix uh, feature? Because uh, you know you know how people you know I know most people that that play video games nowadays have HD quality TVs and shit. Uh, do you think that the that the Wii Netflix will actually try and be keep up with and successfully compete with gaining the same audience that? Uh, that the PlayStation 3 and 360 owners will. Well, you know what it is? The the 360 and the PS3, they're going to be running on 720p, 1080i, and 1080p. The, uh, the Wii is going to run at 480i, which is slightly bit, a slight bit more uh, a cleaner picture than standard definition by all means. But like I said, I'm more than sure that the fare that they're going to offer is not going to be you know, they're probably going to have, if you're watching Netflix on the Wii, you're going to be watching standard definition programming. That's yeah. all it's going to be. You're going to be watching just regular movies that you watch on a regular DVD player. It's just the convenience of having it all in one place. That's all they're going to lean on. There's not going to be, there's not going to be this grandiose push for, you know, a new Wii with HD, HD functionality because I'm more than sure Nintendo has that under their hat for another year or two. Right now, they just want to let everybody play nice with Netflix because Netflix is the popular kid in school and everybody's going to want to play with them. That's all they're doing. Yeah. I have what to agree with that. But uh, that, yeah, I, I got a feeling that Netflix will... Well, I got a feeling that the Wii will not succeed. I mean, that's just my thing. It's just that Wii... Yeah, Netflix will still be offered as a functionality on the Wii, but I just don't think that it will actually hold as much weight. I mean, it'll be just as useful as, say, maybe, you know, the Sega Channel or even maybe the Sega Dream, well, how the Sega Dreamcast. Sure, it was okay at the time, but it won't hold, it won't last that long. It won't oh, no, it's not. I agree. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not going to be the end-all, be-all, but it's just going to uh, put Nintendo on the same playing field. They're going to be like, hey, man, we can all, you know, you can watch Netflix on any of the systems. That's all it is because at the end of the day, the real winner here is Netflix because what other company do you know has their service on three different independent companies' consoles? Absolutely. You know, the winner here is Netflix. I mean, yeah, the other consoles win because, you know, they be, it becomes the hub of home theater, but Netflix is the winner. What other company is doing that? None. On the contrary, when you upgrade your Xbox, if you've got a third-party memory card, that shit stops working. You know, it, t it took a lot of brass balls for Netflix to, to get in, in bed with Microsoft, you know? Yeah. That's the way I see it. I think that Netflix is the true winner here. The, uh, we as gamers benefit absolutely in 110%. We do. But Netflix is the winner. They're like, hey, man, you can watch all our shit and you know what it gets them? More subscribers. Mm. Because you can sign on for Netflix for eight bucks a month. That that who wins? Who really wins? Netflix. More subscribers. And that's not even counting anybody that has the balls to decide to uh put Netflix on uh multiple systems if that's if that's the route that Netflix decides to go. Well, you gotta look at it like this. And I and I'll put it I'll put it one better. The the selling point for Nintendo is this. Hey parents, you like to buy your kids movies and stuff? 
Well, you know what? If you buy our system, not only are we the cheapest system, but for $8 a month, you'll save tons of money because the average DVD costs 8 or more dollars a month. You'll get as many movies as you want, when you want, for $8 a month. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. Netflix wins, dude. Netflix is, Netflix is really doing the stroke job on all three companies right now and laughing their ass to the bank. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, dude, anything else? Uh, nope, that was pretty much it. I just wanted to pick your brain for a quick minute, and I appreciate your feedback. Oh, thanks a lot, Strider, man. Stick around in the chat as always, and I always enjoy when you call in. Thanks again. All right, no problem. All right, later. All right, we got 34 minutes of showtime left. Uh, first thing is... Uh, Desmond North, who, of course, you may know from the show Serenity and also who does the voice of Drake in Drake's Uncharted Fortune, said and recommended on PlayStation Magazine's UK podcast that he would like to see Hugh Jackman assume the role of Nathan Drake in an Uncharted movie. Uh, the way I see it, uh, I honestly would have liked Desmond North to play Nathan Drake in an Uncharted movie because, you know, the resemblance is pretty clear, but looking at it also, I think Hugh Jackman would be a good, a good person to carry that type of franchise. This is all, of course, speculation and, you know, something that he said personally, but I think Nathan Drake would be a great role for Hugh Jackman. It would actually reinvigorate that um, adventure franchise in the same vein as Indiana Jones. I think Hugh Jackman would do a great job, and that's actually great casting on the part of Desmond North and if Hugh Jackman is listening, um, I think that he would probably jump at the opportunity. I mean, the Wolverine movie was based on the fact that people kept telling him, hey, man, you did a good job as Wolverine. Is Wolverine going to have his own movie? Who knows? Maybe I think if enough people uh, tell him, like, hey, man, you know, you, you kind of look like the dude from Drake's Uncharted Fortune or something to that extent, you never know. We may see that. I think he'd be a great fit. You know, he's got the... He's got the look where he can be the grizzled explorer type, and it would be a good fit, and I'm more than sure that he would, you know, jump into the, into the role with, with great enthusiasm, much like he did with Wolverine. But um, not, not that I wouldn't have mind Desmond North playing him, but I definitely have to give him kudos for recommending an actor of the caliber of Hugh Jackman and not being selfish and throwing himself in the mix. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to studios and directors, but it's definitely a cool concept, and I'd like to see that happen because Uncharted, the game, is an awesome, awesome game. The second one is just as good, and I'd really I, that would actually make a great movie. So we'll see what happens, and that's going to close out this week's gaming news, and it's a perfect segue into the movie news for this week. And right off the bat, uh, Variety was saying that uh, screenwriter Leita Calogridis is going to be the screenwriter that will adapt the manga Ghost in the Shell onto the silver screen. It's going to be a 3D live-action film that is, according to Variety, going to be done similar to how most of the updated 3D films are done now. It's still being decided if it will be done with live actors or if it will be utilizing the style of uh, some of the Disney Pixar films. I think that Ghost in the Shell is a very, very, very heavy subject for a movie. I think that that type of film wouldn't translate well for American audiences. I think that's more of a hardcore uh, gamer and anime geek 
It's kind of like saying that they're going to do a big screen version of Final Fantasy and it's going to come out in theaters. I think that story-wise, it's very in-depth, very detailed, and I don't know if that will translate well to American audiences, but one of the things I can admit is that if it's done in a 3D style, in the style of Up or, in, or like any of the other Disney Pixar films, I think it would translate a little better as opposed to trying to find live actors to you know, bring that story to life. But we'll see what happens. Uh, let's get into some box office numbers. Paranormal Activity continued to be number one at the box office. It earned $22 million. Its total gross is $62.4 million. Mind you, the craziest thing is that Paranormal Activity only cost $15,000 to make. Basically, that movie was made for the price of a Honda. And it has made... $62.4 million, which, of course, leads to the fact that they are already contemplating a sequel for Paranormal Activity. So, you know, it, that actually shows, I mean, yeah, it has a similar style to the Blair Witch Project, but the fact that you made a movie for, for $15,000 and you just made nearly $63 million in five weeks shows that creativity... Um, internet buzz and viral marketing do wonders, and I definitely have to give kudos to the the, the cast and crew of Paranormal Activity for making you know something. I, I'm not going to say something out of nothing, but definitely making something that would um, you know uh, get people's interest and get people in the in the movie in the movie theaters. I mean, it's very you know it's very fitting that it came out right around Halloween. There was a good web buzz surrounding it. And it dethroned Saw, which debuted at number two with $14.8 million. Uh, the movie already started off profitable because it was made for $11 million, but it's also the worst opening weekend for a Saw film. The best one went to Saw 3, which was 33.6, and the original Saw only made 18.2. Where the Wild Things Are fell to number three, Law Abiding Citizen slipped two spots to number four, that piece of shit known as Couples Retreat fell one spot to number five. Astro Boy debuted at number six, which is very unfortunate. The film had a budget of $65 million. It is definitely not up to a good start. The Stepfather fell two spots to number seven. It earned $6.5 million. It uh, has a total gross of 20.3. It cost $20 million to make. Not super profitable, but not super bad. Uh, Cirque du Freak, the Vampire's Assistant, came in at number eight. $6.3 million. It had a budget of $40 million. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was number nine. It earned an additional 5.6. Its total gross was 115.2. It cost $100 million to make. Not totally successful, but once again, not totally terrible. And to close out the numbers for this week, Zombieland fell three spots to number 10. In its fourth weekend, it made $4.3 million. 67.3 was the total gross, and it had a budget of 23.6, making it a major success. Looks like we got some callers in here. I believe that's Slick on the line. Dude, what do you got? Yeah, I definitely want to talk on this, um, the Ghost in the Shell movie and how they're contemplating doing it. First and foremost, I don't think that Ghost in the Shell could be a single movie. As much as I always shit on sequels, it would have to be at least a trilogy. Not only okay. because the original material is manga, so, you know, there's a shitload of stories, I mean, just look at the the characters, like the not the 
the villains, which if you really get into it, one of the things that the story is always going to is like, is the villain really a villain? I mean, you got the original movie, which had the um, the puppet master. You have like the um, the whole thing with the laughing man in the the first the first cartoon series, and you got the individual eleven in the second series. Then you got to go into the whole thing with the main characters, like the major, who I've watched all the movies, I've watched all the episodes. And I still don't know if she's really a woman or a man. Yeah, that's way too fucking cerebral for motherfuckers. I honestly think that um, things of that nature, and it's something that, while it it is something new and it's something different, I don't think it's the new and different that American audiences are ready to embrace because I actually want to take it back a step. If you remember when Final Fantasy The Spirits Within came out, they hyped yeah. the fuck out of that movie, and American audiences were not ready. They were not no. ready for that type of, of storytelling for the masses. I honestly think that Ghost in the Shell is one of those movies that it's a niche market. If you want to do stuff straight to video for the hardcore uh, manga and anime fans, I'm all for it. But I think that trying to put something out for the general consensus is not going to be successful. I mean, the what do you call it? Um. Case in point, let's take last week's biggest uh, video release, which was this year's biggest movie release, Transformers 2. They're calling this the 2009 movie of the year. Yep, which I actually and have have a little. I'm not even I'm show. not even going to shit on it at all. I'm just going to say it's a brainless story. Right, but you know what it is? That's what sells. You know, in terms of Transformers and. This is something that, you know, we can, we can do a whole show on this, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this nugget of information. As a, true per, as a true fan of Transformers, and you know the deep-seated mythology that transcends each, each type of storyline, whether it's Generations, Headmasters, G1, you know that the, that the storyline is very detailed and very intricate, right? right? Now, to the general public, it's all about good guys and bad guys, period. Here are the Autobots with their bright colors. They're the good guys. Here are the Decepticons that look like scrap metal glued together with eyes. They're the bad guys. That's it. They're, watch them beat each other up and Megan Fox stare with her glassy eyes at the screen, you know, with her heavy breathing. You know, that's, that's what it is. We respond to shit like that. It has to be, you know... Here are the good guys, here are the bad guys, let's fight credits, period. And that's, that's getting, my whole point. Right. When you start getting into cerebral storytelling, you risk losing your, your key audience. And I think that Ghost in the Shell is definitely not going to accomplish what they want to do. No, and it's not. It's going to have a humongous budget, whether you do live action or 3D. It's going to have a humongous budget. It's not going it, to – it might – make back the money, but it's not going to make a huge profit because, like you said, Transformers, biggest movie of the year, very clear-cut who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Ghost in the Shell, you have a special paramilitary team, which is supposed to be the good guys. You have whatever cyber terrorists who are supposed to be the bad guys. 
you got people in the paramilitary organization doing fucked up shit. You got the bad guys sometimes doing good things. Right. You don't even really know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, even though really on paper it's spelled out for you. Well, like I said, I I don't think – I think this is one of those things that it's going to start off strong and die at the table. No, it'll – you know what will happen? You'll walk into, like, like you'll go into the theaters in November. You'll see the trailer for you'll, – you'll be getting ready to watch 2012. You'll see a trailer for Ghost of the Show, and everybody will be like, wow, look at all the action, because they'll show all the action scenes. Then people will go in on opening weekend, and it'll get terrible reviews, like, what's going on in this movie? Blah, blah, blah. It's hard to understand. Right. I agree. And that'll be the death of it. There you go. Well, we'll see what happens. That's that's all I can say. I'm not going to go too crazy with it because, like I said, we could we could we can make a whole show out of the nuances of Hollywood films. You and I both know that. Oh, uh, in other Megan Fox news, there's reports of the possibility of I think it was a Gauntlet movie with Megan Fox being the Amazon, and I was like, what? How is Megan Fox even tall enough to be at Amazon? Who fucking knows, dude? These are probably the same fuckers that said she was going to be Wonder Woman. I don't fucking know. We'll see. Well, we got 20 minutes, sir. Let me just run through the rest of this stuff, all right? And I want to try and get Ant on here because I don't want to leave him hanging since it's his day off. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, sir. Later. All right. Uh... Rumor has it, yes, that is a website, uh, the lead role for Lobo was offered to Clancy Brown, who is comic book and voiceover veteran. Brown, you may know as the voice of Lex Luthor in Superman and Batman Public Enemies, also in Justice League, and also in Superman and Batman the series, where he also voiced Mr. Freeze. He's also done animated work with X-Men and with the Wolverine cartoons as well. You may know him in real life as the Krugan in Highlander, or for his roles in the Shawshank Redemption and Starship Troopers. The plan is that they'd like to use him in the same approach like they did with Ron Perlman for Hellboy. I think Clancy Brown would be a good fit. I believe he was also in Carnival, if I'm correct. And, you know, he has great screen presence. He's got the size. He's got the facial look. And if you go the same route that they went with Hellboy, you, it would be really cool, and I think he'd be a great fit because, you you know, no-name actors, and this is just something not to say that he's a, well, uh, a no-name, but just actors that are lesser known, you know, they, they envelope themselves in these projects that end up making them household names in their own way. Ron Perlman is a great example for his portrayal of Hellboy, and I definitely think that Clancy Brown would be good, whether done all in CG or with special effects, I think he would be a great fit just in terms of presence alone and acting capability. So we're going to see what happens. I'm more than sure these Lobo news are going to pick up over the next few weeks. But once again, I will be covering that and any other news over the next few weeks and the next few broadcasts. Uh, My hometown newspaper, the Daily News, uh, stated that with the success of where the wild things are and the positive reaction that it's had, they're going to do a film adaptation of H.R. Puffin stuff. Yeah, that's right, H.R. Puffin stuff. The film will be directed by Conrad Vernon, who did uh, Shrek 2 and Monsters and and Aliens. Uh, The co-creator of the original show said the following, Wild Things 
Where the Wild Things Are was very good for us. We always wanted to do low-tech costumes and high-tech heads, but it'll be a big difference in tone, of course. We'll be bright, not dark. Croft also plans to stay closer to the source material, something they didn't do well with Land of the Lost. We went with comedy on Land of the Lost when it got greenlit, but we didn't know it was going to be so far in the PG-13 direction and so close to an R rating. Our characters are all likable, and we have so much goodwill from our fans, so now we know don't mess with what's worked. I think that the concept and the fact that they're doing an HR Puff and Stuff movie is just disturbing on a multitude of levels. But nonetheless, we'll see what happens. Uh, last week I reported that Dylan Baker was going to be in the next Spider-Man movie, and it appears that it is confirmed that the next villain will be the Lizard. I don't know how confirmed it is because there's not official press on it, but all roads are leading to him portraying the Lizard in the next Spider-Man movie. And there's also rumors saying that the possibility of Morbius and or Carnage are possible. I'm not going to go into this any further just because of the time that's left in the broadcast, but I think that Morbius would be a more apropos second fiddle, so to speak, to the Lizard character, just because Morbius has more of a humanistic storyline to him to parallel the Lizard's quote-unquote savagery versus Carnage just being thrown in there. But we'll see what happens. That's something that I can actually go into a little bit more next week. Um, the DVD for... Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, like Slick had said, was the top-selling home entertainment release of 2009. It sold 7.5 million units in its first week. The Blu-ray was also the biggest-selling Blu-ray of 2009 with 1.2 million units sold. I should know because I fucking bought one. Uh, the Michael Jackson concert film, This Is It, which I kind of want to see debuted at number one in the box office in its first full day yesterday. It made $7.4 million dollars 2.2 million, which came from midnight shows. The film is probably going to do at least 40 to 50 million dollars by Sunday, and it's gotten 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, in some Marvel movie news, to close out the movie segment, uh, Anthony Hopkins has been cast to play Odin, the father of Thor, in the Thor movie. Uh, Chris Hernsworth will be playing Thor. Tom Hiddleston is going to play Loki. Natalie Portman will be playing Jane Foster, which is going to be Thor's love interest, and it will be directed by Kenneth Branagh. The film will be out May 20th, 2011. I think that Sir Anthony Hopkins, as Odin, works. I mean, he can play the good, wise old guy. I mean, if you want to look at a performance in terms of playing the more wizened, grizzled uh, monarch, you can look at his portrayal as the king in Beowulf, which while... Beowulf was one of those forgetful movies. You can see that Anthony Hopkins, even through CGI, conveyed a very good presence as the king. I think he would be fitting as Odin. I definitely want to see what Kenneth Branagh can do with the Thor franchise leading into the Avengers film. You know, that's something we're going to look forward to in 2011, uh, May 20th when it comes out. Uh, we got 15 minutes of show left. I just want to get uh, Ant back in here because I'm more than sure he has a few things to add, and I'll just close out with a couple of nuggets of information that I kind of left out as I went through the movie news. With that, Ant, what's up? Say hello to my little friend. There you go. Welcome back, my friend. What do you got? Um, all right, well, a little few things, actually. Um, I know you didn't want to hit too much on Spider-Man, but, you know, Spider-Man's my favorite superhero, so I'm going to hit on that for just a little bit. Um, all right, what do you got, sir? You were saying that Lizard's going to be going to be in it, which is good because 
pretty much as I was expecting Lizard to be in part three, because we all saw Doc Connors in part two. So, That's um, right, as was I. Yeah, so it's good that we're finally seeing, seeing Lizard in there. And um, Morbius, um, I agree, would be a perfect second fiddle, if the movie even needed a second fiddle, considering that, like, we saw what happened when you, when you put too many villains in one movie, and it just right. doesn't work. So I would like to, for them to just, just stick with Lizard's story for, for once, just to have one villain again, just focus on that villain. And because Lizard's story, like, as much as it's not a deep story, it really is something that could hit home with, with, with the audience better if you could flesh it out more. Because, like, Lizard wasn't a real villain. He was a tragic kind of character. He, he didn't want to have what happened, happened to him to go on. So it's like, it's a whole thing where, in the end, he could do what Doc Ock did and turn to the right side, even though Doc Ock was never a kind of character that would ever turn away from crime. Right. Like, instead of Doc Ock being the one to save, the, to, to save Peter and destroy the machine, it could have been like Lizard wanting to destroy the formula and and say like prevent it from getting into Kingpin's hands or something like that. Because we need, another thing is we need Kingpin to be the second fiddle of anything as an over as an overtone for the movie because Kingpin was a large enough character in Spider-Man's story to where it the it being left out for this long it should have never been left out this long. We need Kingpin there, and I'm not I'm not saying Michael Clark Duncan, but you know a real Kingpin character. Well, I'll tell you what. I think that the the the, the lizard storyline, you you do have um, a point in terms of fleshing the story out. But if you really look at the lizard character from just a a really casual standpoint, you you know you can agree with the fact that you're basically looking at Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Yeah, pretty much. The the lizard the lizard is the Hyde to. Uh, Kurt Connors is Dr. Jekyll. You know, you got a guy, he lost his arm, he'd give anything to have his arm back, started experimenting on himself, created a monster. I mean, you can go with just that, and Peter Parker struggled to, fa- to save his mentor and his friend versus fighting a villain who is, for all intents and purposes, a savage. You can even go another step, and you can even add to the storyline and make it that Dr. Connors was working on the formula with Dr. Michael Morbius. Boom. There's your Morbius in the story. Something happens with the experimentation, lab accident, he becomes the lizard, Morbius becomes the vampire, Peter Parker's in deep shit. See? Writes itself. It's that simple. Yeah, like, like seeing as we already know the direction movies are going in pretty much, because they said they're going to reboot after the next, the next two, but, um, like, if it were up to me, honestly, and if we were going to go with the whole Morbius and, and Connors working together, and they both have the formula. It would be like more like Morbius was was heading off the the um, research on on bad side, and, and he would get like bad DNA next to this leads from a vampire, and all that yada yada. But where I was going with this is that is that what was I going with this? I was, oh yeah, that's right. If it, you it can take it a step further, and like uh, Peter Parker could actually be working with them, and like and I guess after hours it it goes nuts and. And you got Morbius and you got Lizard, but Peter Parker could have, could have been working on it with, with a spider, and then you can you can kind of step into part five and, and get Man Spider story, which would I think would be a completely nuts thing to see on screen. That would be cool. I mean, I remember right. seeing them on the cartoons in the '90s, and that was like the best series of episodes I've seen on on a cartoon when I was a kid. I remember that. Scary shit! I was like like eight years old. Nice. What else you got, my friend? Um, HR puppet stuff. It would probably they'd have to really get rid of the 
homosexual overtone that the show had in order for yes yes when you said that it was disturbing because it was entirely homosexual well you know it's it's very teletubby like i see it going that route yeah and um i don't have much else to say about that but um another thing is uh what was the the first one you said in, in the movie news about uh what the hell did i have fuck oh with uh ghost in the shell Oh, Ghost in the Shell, right, all right. Since we already, we already had two uh, full-length Ghost in the Shell movies. So That's right. It was actually worked and, and set the story up, but you don't really don't need standalone complex to understand the story between one and two. So, like, to make this movie live-action, or even, even like, Pixar, um, I think they could do it if they were to completely strip the story. Like, they would have to get to, to butcher it. Like to do with every uh, novel adaptation to a, to a movie. Like to answer the story a lot, maybe get rid of a lot of characters or get rid of a side of the, of the company or whatever. And like I know it will be a very barren story, but that's the only way it could work to where the audience will be able to follow it. Well, that may, you know what it is? I think that, and this was one of the things I had said to Slick, you know, it's just one of those things where when you get into Ghost in the Shell, the story, you're going to realize that it's it's way too way too deep man you know i think that that, that that's going to be what's going to fail in that respect that just the the the, the storyline in it of itself is gonna you know not work yeah, yeah that's, what, that's what i said like they would have to spend a decent time to uh to write it to spend time writing it and know which parts to remove which parts to alter and and shorten because it's not going to be able to be as deep and as long as it is for it to work, even in even three three hour long movies, it still wouldn't work because it's, it's too much. There's too much depth to it, so they have to really have to, be, to strip it bare, and even cut it down to three hours each movie. That that's a long run for a movie, but that's the only way I can imagine it working. Well, that's one of the things. We'll see what happens. I'm going to try and get actually some more information. I'm going to see if I can get the variety post and get in a little deeper with it and see what happens. Yeah, that's a really interesting topic. I don't even like manga that much. I don't, I don't really care for anime and Ghost in the Shell TV series. I didn't really like at all. But like, just to see where this goes, I'd, never, I'd be interested. Sounds like a plan, sir. All right, brother. Thank you for calling. I know you've been on the whole time. I appreciate it, especially since you're not able to hear the show often. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot for giving me my separate time. All right, man. Thanks a lot, sir. All right, see you later. Peace. And that's how we say goodbye to Ant. All right. With that being said, I just want to thank all the callers for this week. Uh, They did a great job uh, contributing to the show. I want to give props to uh, Kevin Baird, uh, my buddy Don Anderson, uh, both of those guys, hardworking radio show hosts that they both are. You can catch Tumbling with Tumbleweed, which is Don Anderson's show's Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Definitely check it out. It's definitely not your run-of-the-mill show. There's a lot. It's a lot more light-hearted. There's definitely some good humor uh, from Mr. Anderson as well as some of the guys that call in, including Jedi and Kevin when he's in there. Those guys, they definitely have a, a gem of a show. So kudos to Don Anderson. So if you get a chance, check him out Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. Just look for blogtalkradio.com slash Donnie. Dash A if you want to listen to his show live on Tuesdays or just go to the Tumbling with Tumbleweed page on Blog Talk Radio 
and download some of his shows. I'm more than sure that you will be amused. Uh, Kevin's show, of course, is Video Game News Radio. You can go to VGN New, Video Game News Radio or VGNRadio.com. You can also go to their Libsyn page, which he gave out earlier in the, bro- earlier in the broadcast, and check out some of the great stuff that they offer. Uh, they have a very similar style to mine, so if you are a fan of this show, I can almost guarantee that you will be a fan of VGN Radio, so check them out at VGNRadio.com. Also wanted to give props to 411 Mania for some of the great news that they have provided for uh, the last 17 episodes that we've done. Uh, OC Remix, of course, for the Castlemania theme that you heard earlier. The artist for that is Am I Evil? Uh, Shout out to MMA Junkie for all their great MMA news and Film Drunk for all their great movie news. Um, If you want to contact me directly, you can go to mtrhost at gmail.com and email, comment, or the question of the week, which I have not done the last two weeks because I haven't had a chance to come up with any really good questions. Uh, You can check me out on MySpace, myspace.com slash rb19ad. Um, If you are on Facebook, punch in My Take Radio in the search bar and become a fan. We're almost up to 50 fans on Facebook. Definitely want to move those numbers up a little bit. So if you are on Facebook, uh, punch in my take radio and show your support. Uh, if you want any of the other news or any of the other great stuff that I don't cover on the show, uh, my girlfriend as well as Slick post news as well as me on mytakeradio.com. You can go in there and comment on any of the posts and news that are put in throughout the week. Uh, over the next few weeks, I'm going to say no later than December, uh, my take radio will be redesigned with WordPress, and I will probably be adding a forum and a couple of other cool things. Uh, Jake O'Malley was our last prize winner. His prize went out. He should be receiving it or should have received it over the next few days. Uh, Once I bring back some better questions for the question of the week, I will continue giving out prizes. Uh, Ark, one of our previous callers, as well as Ant, have already received prizes for Uh, contributing to the question of the week. And with that, I think we are going to close out this week's episode of My Take Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Rich, and this has been My Take Radio, episode 17 for Thursday, September 29th, 2009. I want to thank everybody for listening and for Vinny, who just asked in the chat room, the banner and logo competition will start with episode 20. I just wanted to thank everybody once again for tuning in and for continuing to support this great show. Uh, Please continue showing your support and help us grow My Take Radio into something bigger than it already is becoming. Thank you all again. Have a good night. Peace.